Do yeah. whatever you gotta do. Hey guys, Steve here. Today we're gonna talk about going with fishes. Going with fishes. Everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode two hundred and seventy-three. Um, this week we have a, a guest that a couple of you guys have requested, uh, Spring Creek Farms. Uh, thanks for joining us so much today. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We yeah, also man, have, how's everything going? Going great. We also have Fumidor. How's it going, Fumi? Oh man, I don't know what happened. Your audio uh, totally took a dump. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that was... Maybe yeah, reset no your problem. audio device Thanks or something. For having me, I appreciate it. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, I did want to do a. Going. It's going well. You also have Fumidor. How's it going, Fumi? Oh, apparently I have feedback going. There we go. Sorry about that. Um, Bit of a technical difficulties today. Me and uh, nope, still nothing. Fumi. Um, me and uh, Marty used to. Oh, Marty or uh, Fumi, you're on uh, mute there. You muted yourself. Yeah, we we can't hear you at all, Fumi. <laughs> it was working beforehand. I don't know what happened. Fumi is now on mine. That, that is the thing. Um, I also wanted a quick shout out uh, if you guys haven't gotten your tickets yet for Humboldt. Uh, the Regen Conference is January 28th and through the 30th. Um, me and Fumi will both be there. Um, you can check it out there uh, in Humboldt if you guys want to come out, Richardson's Grove and Garberville. Um, uh, yeah, it's a good time. You'll have uh, Susan May Wright Evans. Uh, Kevin Jodry, Chris Trump, Eric Branstead, myself, uh, Michael Box, Dr. Lynn Ingham, Nick Mambuda, Green Source Gardens, Wade Laughter, and a whole bunch of other awesome people. Um, so uh, definitely be sure to come out and, uh, and support the crew. If not, check out Michigan in February, Maine in March, or Oklahoma in April. Uh, we will have a ton of awesome educational content for you guys. Um, you can also check out um, me over apmjclass.com. We're looking for aquaponic cannabis education. Um, thanks a lot for joining us, uh, uh, Spring Creek Farms. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and, and what you do? You're well known for being a regenerative farmer and have a ton of awesome content on your Instagram and, and other space and your YouTube and down that space. Um, tell us a little bit how you got started and, and a little bit about yourself and your farm. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, we've been doing... You know, we've been doing this for about 20 years, you know, about 20 years ago, we got started doing light depth. Um, you know, nobody was really doing light depth around in, in Sonoma County that I knew. Actually, everybody told me not to do it because it wasn't, uh, you know, it doesn't work. And yeah, back then, you know, everybody just thought that, you know, I, I, I wanted to just, you know, um, you know, grow the best weed I possibly could. And to me, that was, you know, copying nature. You know, at the time I was like, well, I was looking to the forest for, you know, my, my inspiration because, 
I didn't want to grow like a lot of people were growing 20 years ago. A lot of people were, you know, doing what I call the hydro death system where they just, you know, pollute the environment and buy bottled nutrients and hydro chemicals and all that shit, pesticides. So, you know, I was trying to find another way to do it. So, you know, there was no support 20 years ago. I didn't either, you know, it was just, you just figured it out, you know? So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. I just decided to figure it out and it's just been a evolution of uh, trusting, you know, trusting nature, which, you know, obviously everybody, if you've been following natural farming, you hear people say, you know, trust the process and, and that's the truth, you know, that you really, uh, trusting the process is one of the most important things, you know, in this whole process is just trusting it. So yeah, that's how I got started doing it. And, um, just kind of evolved from there once uh once it once it worked the first time <laughs> really well my first you know first light up ever it worked really well so we just started you know figuring it out from there and you know here we are so it's it's you know it's been uh it's been a really interesting experience because for you know probably about 15 uh, at least 12 15 years of this there hasn't been much, you know, support or, or conversation about it. I mean, even me, I didn't hear, I didn't even hear about like natural farming, Jadam, KNF. I didn't even hear about those things until, you know, what, three, four years ago. You know what I mean? I might've been doing them for, you know, 15, 20 years, but I had never even heard of them until, you know, three or four years ago. Yeah, exactly. Right. Until I went to that was the that was an epic moment. Oh, my God. That was just the coolest thing. Meeting Master Cho, meeting Young Sancho and, you know, spending time with them and getting to learn from them directly. And not only that, we got to spend like quality time because we were staying at the same uh, on the same farm where they were staying. So I got to cook dinner for them like a huge, huge plate platter of food and we had humboldt grass-fed beef we had like stuff from alaska because my buddy just flew in from alaska evan whole plant wellness he flew in from alaska we had we had everything man and we cooked it up for them like this huge platter and um it was pretty awesome yeah it was it was pretty special time i loved it and uh you know so that was the, honestly, that was the first time I heard of Jadam when I went up to Oregon for that class. And I didn't even, I, heard, I knew I was going up for a KNF class. I was like, oh, KNF, the Chos. Like, I'm definitely going up to meet the Chos. And I just didn't really know what I was, I just didn't even realize like how much knowledge, information, wisdom was going to be, you know, downloaded by them in those two days. And it was, you know, absolutely, you know, awesome. It was one of the highlights of my, of like, of, of like, you know, when I, in the past 10 years, it was like one of the highlights of my life. Yo, I say this, like, honestly, the two of the biggest life-changing things is really learning about the real power of, uh, uh, you know, natural farming and, and Sasquatch. You know, I'll just say that, like natural farming and Sasquatch are two things that have seriously changed my life. And that's, that's one, you know more than any drugs or you know what i mean so many experiences like i i just i i feel um really really thankful to you know to be uh 
to be able to like, um, you know, implement these, uh, these practices in like a closed loop way. Well, which would you like to get to first, Sasquatch or not? It's kind of how we go. I feel like Sasquatch might be a shorter topic if you were you guys, to tell us about that first. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, probably just natural farming. It's too early my, to get uh, off subject. My, my cousin actually saw what he thought was a Sasquatch, and I definitely think the potential is there, so I'd love to hear about that later on. But, uh, yeah, so tell us about some of the different things that you've really kind of unlocked. Yeah, no, they're, de they're definitely in Oklahoma. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of activity in Texas and Oklahoma as well as, like, you know, other places. That's, you know, but, but that's, like, a whole nother, you know, subject. But, yeah, you know, just those are the types of things, I guess what I'm saying, that that expand your mind, open your reality to other potentials, right? Like when you learn natural farming and you realize the potential of like in Jadam, you like uh, learn the potential, the real potential of leaves of just the cannabis leaf. Cause that's predominantly, you know, what I'm running off of is, you know, like cannabis leaves. If that's my main food stock, I'm running off of uh, cannabis leaves, some IMO four basic plant material, you know, basic herbs and, uh, you know, plants that grow on my property. Um, obviously, because, you know, we're in California, the testing standards are super high. And because we're, you know, Dem Pure certified and, and we, you know, just the type of people we are, we're super concerned about our inputs. So that's really led us to the point of eliminating everything that could be a potential um contamination right so through that pro you know because honestly at one point i tested my soil with a lab it doesn't matter i'm not going to say names i tested my soil and the lab comes back and tells me and this was i knew that i could read her mind and tell that she was going to fail me because when i handed her the soil test it was like i was reading her mind I, she's the person was like you're gonna fail no matter what i was like i don't know what that was about but I got back some fucked up tests that was told me my soil was contaminated. And, you know, basically a lot of times the labs are just wrong. Um, I retested, basically it sends you down a rabbit hole that sent me down a rabbit hole. Okay. They told me my soil was contaminated. I forget even with what sent me down a rabbit hole. I ended up researching everything everything down to wood chips if wood chips can be contaminating my soil with any heavy metals that they could be pulling up from the ground you know what i mean i mean i was going into everything basically the at the in the end she was wrong she the test was wrong and i retested my soil and it completely passed heavy metals and i've never even failed the test i've, I've tested my weed um for i don't even know how many years now Knock on wood, hardcore knock on wood. I've never failed a heavy metal test or a microbial test. I actually failed a microbial test on purpose because I wanted to see what it would take to fail. So I sprayed some like sludge. I like, I, I like thumbed, I thumbed compost tea on a plant and just let it like dry on the leaves. So it was just like fully, you know, coated with just like, compost tea, let it dry on the, that failed. I wanted to see where the threshold was, you know, for microbials when it would, where it would fail. 
Um, since then, the testing has changed. You know what I mean? It used to be like you could fail from microbials. Now it's like the way they test is different and you could get, you could have mold and PM and mold and your shit passes fine. <laughs> um, it's fucked up. But that being said, you know, like we don't fuck around with our, I don't do mold or PM. I just won't. That's not how I grow. You know, like I, I just can't stand that shit. Cause I smoke, I grow to smoke. And I grow for people that want to smoke too. You know what I mean? That people that really want to smoke good weed. So, you know, I would never, you know, I'm just, that's why we do what we do. Cause we're just super, you know, super adamant about like clean medicine. So well, that's why we, we don't take this light. Well, as a purveyor of natural farming, yeah, what do you think a good entry point for people that maybe have never heard of this type of technology or this type of farming style? What do you think is a good way for them to kind of um, introduce themselves to the whole thing? Well, that's cool. That's a good question. Um, you know, I would say just learning the IMO process, right? You know, just locating their, you know, their local IMO, start, you know, make, you know, getting like a relationship with their, their local forest or, you know, whatever nature they could come up with, or, you know, everyone's got different layers of, you know, different levels of forest to work with. But I would say definitely learning about the IMO process and learning how to uh, locate your indigenous microorganisms, because that's kind of like the motor, you know, behind this whole thing. You know, that's like what I call the motor, because it's like you could have the most beautiful car in the world, but it's got no motor, ain't going nowhere. There's no performance. It's like game over. So without that, you know, so the IMO and learning how to use the IMO as like your kind of like your, your motor, your base there. So you can put it as kind of like a spice. I like to say it's kind of like cooking for plants. Think of it as, you know, simply cooking for plants, right? So your IMO is like a spice that you can use for everything. It's almost like butter. You know what I mean? Like when you're cooking, you use that in everything. The IMO is the same way. I, you can learn to incorporate your IMO. First, learn how to harvest it, right? Go out, learn that you have to harvest different um, microorganisms on your property because um, some are stronger than others. So you want to realize that, you know, you want to harvest the strongest microbes, right? And then you know, work with those and then introduce them to each other. And that's kind of the whole process of this IMO process of introducing microbes to each other so that they, they form a relationship and then they don't fight each other. Cause a lot of times if you just start introducing things, they'll fight each other. And then, you know, it's like war of the microbes and they just start eating each other because they're, they're not really acclimated, you know, they have to be introduced. Um, so learning how to locate them, harvest them um, and introduce them to each other um, so that they can get along and do their work, you know, and cycle nutrients and grow plants for you and, and make your soil healthy. Okay. For people that are uh, just getting started on the IMO, I know a lot of people maybe have tried it once or twice and had not maybe the best luck. Um, do you have any advice for people trying to get that perfect IMO collection? Cause I know, you know, I'll be honest with you, if I put out 10 boxes, you know, six or seven of them are keepers, but, you know, three or four of them are not. And, and I think that's something that even more experienced people still kind of struggle with. Do you have any advice on that? Um, well, it's interesting because like, 
that's like there's it's kind of like there's like two schools of thought with that. I mean, I guess with like more the KNF, you know, methodology, you're you're collecting you're collecting like that in boxes on rice with Jadam, you're more just using the leaf mold soil, you know, so it really depends on like, well, I don't really I don't do collections like that. I'm more just taking the soil collections and then using them into like a, a JLF or whatever IMO pile I'm working with, um, because I find that it's basically, you know, for one, I don't have rice on my property, right? I don't grow rice. I'll do the same IMO collection. It's kind of, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like a black sheep almost, you know what I mean? Like how I operate is like outside of the, the norm. I don't do things like traditionally because I didn't learn this traditionally. I didn't learn how to do this, you know, from in the traditional manner. So I oftentimes, you know, veer off and do my own thing because that's just what I learned to do from because that's what's in my environment. Um, that being said, you know, I don't use sugar and rice at all because I don't have them here. And then I would have to go buy them and that costs money. And even if I spend a hundred dollars on sugar and rice, that's another hundred dollars that I only spent a hundred dollars last year. I spent like a hundred and under 200 bucks. Let's just say I spent a hundred, 150 bucks to grow like over, you know, say 250 pounds, say you know, something like that. Um, so, you know, whatever the math on that is, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even want to spend more than a hundred dollars a year. Like I bought some alfalfa meal last year. That was it. I bought some alfalfa, some, I bought like maybe five bags of alfalfa meal just because I like it. But I'm just saying like, you know, I think everybody has different situations. Um, if, if you, you know, I, I see the, you know, I mean, honestly, with the, you know, the Jadam methodology was kind of like the evolution of, of the KNF methodology where, you know, Young Sang Cho realized that he's like, wait, we don't need sugar and we don't need white rice. So I think he just, you know, realized that there were other ways of um, doing, uh, coming to the same, you know, the same place, but with different, with different things using less, using less, and, you know, by using potatoes. So, I mean, potatoes to me are like gold, you know, um, I love potatoes and, you know, they're very useful, but, um, but honestly, yeah, I don't really do the traditional collection with uh, rice because like I said, I don't have rice and I'd rather eat it. You know what I mean? I eat rice. <laughs> I'd rather eat it. And I don't really believe in like white rice and white sugar. Um, so, you know, I just, uh, and honestly, you know, it, it's, it also goes in line with the Jadon methodology because that's what Young Sang also was preaching that he doesn't believe in uh, white rice, white sugar. It causes diabetes, it acidifies soil, you know, so forth and so on. It's, there's a, you know, but if I lived somewhere where I was growing rice, I would use it. If I was growing sugar, I would probably use it. You know, I'm not saying don't use it. I just, you know, I live in a very extreme environment with, with huge amounts of IMO now. And that's why what I do works really well with this Jadam methodology, because 
Um, I have huge, I have like, like dump trucks full of IMO, like pure white, fluffy, gorgeous IMO soil by the dump trucks fulls. I mean, honestly, it'll fall off the hill. I mean, I'll do tractor work and run into it, you know, I mean, um, plus there's, it's just all over the hills here. It's, it's, it's just, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a really, really thick forest with huge amounts of like microorganisms, like all over the place. It's really diverse. Um, it's moist. It's just, we get, okay, this is it. We get the second highest rainfall in California, in Casadero. I've got, we, we have the second highest rainfall in California. So we get a lot of rain. Okay. So that also makes it so what I do, um, easy, even easier, but, but for anybody, it's really not that hard because there's IMO everywhere and anybody can go collect, you know, IMO in any, basically any forest, because I mean, you can find it anywhere. Of course you want to find the stronger IMOs, which is like going up on Hills, going on South facing slopes, you know, you're going to, the higher up in elevation you go, the stronger those micro microorganisms are because, you know, they, they, there's more extreme, more extremes, you know, that they have to deal with, you know, where if you, if you're collecting IMO down low at the Creek, it's like they have an easier life, you know? So, um, and a lot of the IMO that I collect, I try to collect IMO. That's like kind of like eating rocks. I like to find, um, rock eating like this uh, granite eating microorganisms basically i look for rocks that i mean i imo that eats rocks it's just kind of because they're really strong and they eat everything and uh i'll inoculate those all these different imo you know collections what i call collections which in jadam a collection is just collecting the leaf mold soil is your collection because um it works it just basically simply works, you know, because um, I, I mean, I do kind of skip. And that's what I'm saying. Like I learned the I never really learned the IMO one two process because I don't do rice and sugar. Right. So I kind of end up at like three, four, five. I kind of skip the one and two and I go right to the three, four, five, because that's just what I do. You know, and I, I, I was doing this 20 years ago. I was and before I mean, we literally had no idea what, you know, kind of what was going on. And, you know, so we were just really winging it. And um, so I just kind of developed from experience um, what I was calling fermented top dress mixes. That's what I did. I would ferment top dress mixes. It was basically like a fermented top dress, you know, IMO three, four, five, whatever, you know, and then, you know, you got your IMO three, and then IMO four, you're adding your soil into it. IMO five, you're adding like other, compost or biochars or you know whatever else you want to add into it so just uh just taking it up just adding introducing more and more microbes as you go up the ladder you know so yeah we just kind of like came into it so that's why i'm kind of untraditional you know because i never learned this from like anybody i just kind of like figured it out through try straight up trial and error and uh you know so you know, and, and we were just kind of paranoid back in the day. We didn't go on the computer. We didn't even want to go to town to buy a book to read. It. You know, we just were like, it was like just, you know, we just didn't want any trouble. So we really just were hiding out, honestly. So we never really, we never interacted much with our community even. You know, it was just kind of safer to just mind your business, you know.
just to survive like and so that's what we did and you know we kind of figured this stuff out and then once i took the jadam class you know once i learned from uh you know young sang and master cho that just that literally i felt like it it, it saved me like in my learning curve it just it just took off like a solid 20 30 years you know what i mean because i i got 20 years into it and i okay i got 20 it took me this long to like figure this process out manually maybe you know but nobody was talking about it now people have all the information available like like me and you and all these podcasts for days and future cannabis pro man this shit is like all this latent and you know i mean everybody the, the the info now is just off the chart you know um but you know i i just didn't come from a science background so i just come from like a i'm just well, a natural you know kind of guy so i just figured it out i, I guess or i don't know did that make sense yeah layton's never grown cannabis though i do want to state that for the record he's never grown cannabis um he has not managed a cannabis facility he's while he may have worked or gone as a student right. university, he's never actually done the thing. Right, uh, right. Anyways, that's a separate issue. Right. That and that's kind of, that, that's a good point you're making because, you know, a lot of these, you know, I'll just say it, you know, a lot of the people that like to flex their, their brains, you know, they haven't produced, like, as we say, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, like proofs in the pudding, bro. That's it. It's like, we could talk, in circles, we can circle talk to the cows come home. Who's yeah. smarter? Blah blah word, big words. Then at the end of the day, it's like the proof is in the pudding, and that's it. You know what I mean? And and I know you know that, and and that's what's you know, and that's what I really appreciate about you know. I'd love to ask you about what you find more appealing about the Jadam than the KNF, because just me personally, having learned both methodologies now. Um, from Chris Trump and and then going through the, the Jadam book personally, I think still that like the KNF is a little bit more refined. Uh, have you found that certain things in Jadam make more sense? I, I, something as someone who feels more passionately about it, I'd love to hear your take on this because I'd love to be educated on maybe things that I haven't, you know, wrapped my head around yet. No, yeah, you're right. It is more refined. The KNF is more refined and, and that's kind of almost why the Jadam works for me because I'm really all about um, removing things and like getting rid of things and operating on less, you know what I mean? So it really works for me because of my, I'm already like an extreme survivalist kind of guy, you know what I mean? Like even, you know, like, um, so I just like simplify stuff as much as possible. Like if it's, and I just find that with the Jadam methodology, I can just do less. Does that make sense? I can really um, get, obviously, you know, my results are there. I can, I have test results, flat, you know, my, my, my shit is on point. So, I mean, I know I'm doing that right, but um, yeah, I just find it really works for me because, okay, this is why, okay, I think this is why it really works for me specifically because it comes down to the systems that I have in place already okay and that's where me or that's where i should say young saying and 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 you know and i really met eye to eye and i really admired him and just saw my saw what he really was doing and it blew me away because 
uh, we have like a similar like trellis system, you know, just our whole, the whole thing was like, I was like, it was like, like meeting yourself, you know, that, that, that level of, but so I've really felt like, you know, and, and I, I see that yes, K and F is more refined and it gives you a little more control and you can kind of, you know, play that, that play God a little more with it. You know what I mean? You have more bottles and more, more inputs, you know, so you can, you can just adjust and, but then that's why I don't like KNF because then it puts you in back in that boat where you're, you're playing the guesswork and you're, you're doing this and you're doing that. And part of, you know, I'm just kind of like, you know what? I'm just like, I've got the one I've gone. Like, it's kind of like, okay. It's like in uh, your, your kill move. You know what I mean? Like everybody Kung Fu, everyone practices their kill move behind closed doors. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's what Jadam is to me. It's like, I can just simplify it. I can make my JLF, which is not only feeds the soil, but it's a, uh, like a natural pesticide. I'm literally combined it, everything into one. So I have a, it's like a, 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 a foliar soil drench, um, uh, you know, um, natural pesticide. So I literally just can like spray the plants down spray water the soil it's like whatever it basically it works for me because like it works you know and i've simplified it so i don't need i don't need to make all these other inputs i don't need all these things i just need my like jlf my jms my wood chips my my leaf mold my leaf mold soil my imo you know three four and fives my biochar uh, my cannabis leaf mold. I mean, that's kind of like, oh, and then all the, you know, all the plants on the property, horsetail and fern. And I mean, I use squash, you know, I use pumpkins and JLF pumpkins and stuff. And, you know, I just use vegetables. I use my vegetables. That's what I feed myself. That's what I feed my plants. I basically treat my plants and me the same way. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like that closed loop mentality of keeping like, um, all of the uh, the bacteria and fungus that are on that you're living with, you know, in your body, in what you eat, keeping yourself inoculated, you know, with the same microorganisms that your your plants are inoculated with, you know, really integrating yourself into your closed loop system. You know what I mean? And uh, I know that's why the Judon works for me because it's like less is more. If it's not broke, don't fix it. If, if, if all a plant really needs is, you know, the nutrients that are available, you know, in the leaves of the plants, of that plant, then said plant, then, you know, like, why would I try to like outthink nature? You know, and I think that's where almost like the K and F it's like, it almost gives you more room to fuck up because you can think more. There's more, you have more bottles and more of this, and you're doing all these different transitioning. And I mean, I'm literally just like running this simplest, stupid, simple system. Um, but also, like I said, I really have uh, my, you know, my, my greenhouse, especially my one greenhouse. My other one was, is kind of uh, modular, not, not, not the, the example that I want to talk about, but specifically like my one greenhouse that's been there for uh 
uh, 15 plus years. I don't even know anymore, but it's like 18 year olds, 15, six, 17 years. I don't even know. I forget. It's been a minute. Um, so that's that system because it, it has, you know, it's a subterranean. It has this, uh, what I call my scalable high production, no-till micro remediated subterranean full spectrum light depth bioretention pit technique, you know, that would that's like 15 years of fucking thinking about like you know refining this system it just kind of evolved that's an that just evolved into what it is but because i have this system in place that you know just stores um completely hey whoa what's up we got we got clock in the house you know i got this system in place that that supports the biology you know that what that means is that I don't have to do anything. You see what I'm saying? You know, if you have the system in place, because, okay, what I call my system is the no-till, nothing system. You know, it's very Fukuoka-like. You know what I mean? It's very, like, hands-off. Like, the, it's not like you don't do anything. You just do the right <laughs> things and very few of them. But you have to have the, the, the biology and the method, you know, and the, the, the biology essentially in place to back that up so that you can be hands off. So, and I think that's why a lot of people are constantly, um, you know, doing stuff because their system where the root zone is for those plants is just straight up too hot. It's too dry. It's not in the ground. You know, that that's a lot of the problems. They don't have the right system in place for the plant ultimately. So therefore, you know, they're always playing like catch up and watering a lot. Like, like my pit, I don't have to water it for like a month. Like we'd have, when I finish my plants, I don't, ha- I don't water for a month. Um, like no problem. And, and, you know, we, we've lost, it's been like 115 degrees. I mean, fucking deathly hot. And we lose power in heat waves because now they shut the power off anytime it's really hot. So your greenhouse gets all you, you lose all the power. So, you know, and my plants, my plants just pray a month of 110 degrees and no fans in the greenhouse. They just pray. They're just happy. Keep praying. I can't even get my plants to flag. It's hard to even get them to flag. They almost won't even flag because the, the soil is so cool. They won't even flag in a month, in a month of a hundred plus degrees. They won't flag where my other greenhouse will start flagging in, in like, you know, two days, a a smart pot will start flagging in, in a day, a smart plot, a smart pot, which, you know, is just ridiculous. They just, you know, they just are very inefficient, but, you know, so I, I really feel like a lot of people, you know, you got to have the system in place to back up you know, the biology and things that you're trying to create. Otherwise they just go away and you're always, you're always trying to keep, you know, keep feeding that system. Whereas if you put like where I put a lot more, I put a hundred times more energy up front when I build something and then I walk the fuck away from it. And it just like literally my pit, what I call the pit, I grow weed in there. I don't even go in there for a month. The re- it's just like, this shit is perfect. The leaves are perfect. There's not a leaf out of place. It's it basically like, don't even go in there. I do like one, I go down the row, I go back. There's nothing wrong. I leave. I don't even want to go in there and, 
and contaminate it with bugs or I don't even need to go in there. It's basically like a, that's why I call it the no-till nothing system. It says, leave me alone. I'm good. I got this. Just, and that's what a system should be, right? That's what a, a, a well-designed system should be. You should be able to leave it alone, not fuck with it every day. Like my other shit, that's not as dialed. I got to fuck with it every day, almost every day. And there ain't a day go by that you really something where this, the pit, and it makes it really painful when you have a system that is like so efficient, literally you don't have to do anything to it. And it grows you the sickest weed and you literally are hands off and, and, and then your other system is like, you got to water it like every two days or, you know, mess with it or, you know, it's really, uh, you know, it really shows a guy, you know, all the different levels. Cause yeah, I have, you know, I don't have any smart pots, but you know, I've run smart pots and, you know, I'm damn pure. So we're not allowed to run smart pots. I don't like smart pots anyway. I, you know, that's just the whole, that's just me. I'm a ground guy. I like to grow in the ground, Hugel beds. I agree with you. I find that the smart pots end up being feeding stations for aphids. Every time I've seen. Oh, really? Like, feeding? You know, yeah. Cause like the root, the root tips come out and they just feed off of those root tips. Oh, really? I've never, I've never noticed that honestly, because. Uh, I've, I've got 20, I have 20 years with uh, smart pots. I have never seen it either, but. I also put preparation in the, uh, take the steps necessary in the soil mix itself. Look, I'm not saying that smart pots are better than in ground, uh, not, but as far as containers are concerned, let's, let's get the brand out. Cause I, I, I really, it bothers me to talk about brands because right. it's such a nonsensical right. a uh, discussion. Thought, right. Well, they're not even fabric. They're made from post-consumer <laughs> plastics, okay? Like your Coke oh, bottles no, and that kind of fuck. shit. Yeah. Well, no, it's not that. It's that they're yeah, sterile. They're, nasty. All right, I they're was inert. They're yeah. inert. Okay. Yeah, totally. and, um, yeah, your plants aren't grounded. Right. Oh, sorry. Go but you, it's got to be better than the, the uh, they call them the LIPT, L-I-P-P-E-D, LIPT uh, nursery pots, the standard ones that uh you know number one number two number three and they go all the way up to like i think 350 but whatever right you want to talk about infection that's why in the nursery business when you uh say you're you never would but let's say you're doing something crazy like starting them out in number ones and then you transplant them into a number three and all that you don't reuse them. You, you take them and uh, have them picked up and they're taken to the uh, company here in Portland and they're melted down. I mean, can you imagine the amount of disease and other issues that you would transfer every time you touched them or used them, you know, to take this set of plants and put them in used pots? Whereas with the smart pots, you can take them and have them clean because again, they're right. made out of neutral, neutral plastic. I mean, uh, right. I put kelp, I put kelp, uh, neem and uh, karanja in my soil mix. And, you know, I don't have half the problems that I hear about from, no, I got this dialed in. Right. I got this right. dialed in. Yeah, I, I fuck with it every day. You know, uh, I remember one time a guy on Instagram told me, yeah, yeah. me, he told me that he checked his pH 
five times a day. And I told him that he should really get some professional help and get out of growing, <laughs> do, do something functional. Okay. Cause this wasn't, oh, oh. you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and no, make it yeah, and make it and make adjustments. Can you imagine anything that silly? Check your pH five times um, a day and yeah, uh, no, I... <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I haven't checked my pH in I don't even know how many years. I've never owned or, a pH or soil test for that more. I, I don't even believe in soil tests at this point. I'm like, what's the point? Because right. the, the, I'm going to, I'm going to treat it the same way. No matter my, my methodology is already the, is already the, like what I would do if I had a problem, I'm already would do what I'm doing. So as right. long as I just keep doing what I'm doing and I don't have any problems, it should stay having no problems, you know, right. which, you know, soil tests are expensive, man. All this stuff is adds up, you know, you know how it is. Yes, it all adds and up. and the big one, the things that you really want to know, like cation exchange capacity, that's a, an additional. That doesn't come with your forty or fifty dollar uh, lab report out of that company. I can't remember. They're out of Ohio somewhere. Oh, Logan, Logan Labs. I mean, if you want a real soil test is done by like the uh, university department of agriculture, where they analyze that soil from top to bottom, you're yeah. talking 250, $300. One thing so, I wanted to, one thing. I yeah, wanted to, yeah, exactly. One thing I wanted to highlight real quick on this, this, so this is a video of me releasing predator wasps into a population of root aphids. Uh, on cloth pots and if you look see how this aphid is like skitzing the fuck out and kind of dancing like a maniac um and that wiggle he just did that is him trying to alert the other aphids that like yo there is shit here that will kill us get the hell out of here watch right <coughs> here watch this one right here see him freaking out what do you mean by cloth pots those are those are smart pots that oh you are, said i thought you said cloth i'm sorry yeah, yeah, these are well plastic cloth. Um, uh, these are um, fabric pots that are whatever smart pots that were on uh, in, a, in a facility I was working on, and they had totally overrun with root aphids that were just feeding on the outside of the pots mm -hmm. where the roots were sticking through. Um, but uh, I just wanted to highlight the fact that that's what they do when they're freaking out because even if they smell the pheromones of the predator, they actually will mm -hmm. reduce their numbers. They're less fertile when there's predators around. They'll makes actually lay fewer eggs. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I didn't right on interrupt you. I just wanted to highlight that real quick that's cool no that's cool yeah no and you know and I think another thing with my whole Jadom thing why it really works for me is because I'm only one guy and I have my wife too but for the most part like we have kids and she's like really busy and you know the way things are have been so tight um, with labor and you know it's just me on the farm so like, I don't have time, man, to fuck around with a lot of things. Right. You know, everything I do has to count, has to really count, you know? And so, yeah, I've just kind of, I've just been just trying to uh, eliminate everything. And, right. and, you know, one of the things I've been focusing on are my worms, you know, my, like clack, I've been doing the, uh, the worms in the uh, leaf mold, in my leaf mold, in my uh, leaf mold soil. 
So that's my base for uh, the worms, which does make the best worm casting, period. It's incredible. The worm castings in the leaf mold soil oh, yeah, yeah. are incredible. Yeah, with right. the tech with, with the with with the cannabis leaves in there and compost, you know, with the uh, and my uh, food scraps and the cannabis leaves, the texture is just it's just uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's just like delicious, you know. It's you so have, fertile and if you have you milk know. goats, uh, their manure is uh, pretty close to perfect. Uh, I mean, all manure is good for, for the except yeah, for I don't have car uh, carnivores, but uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah I've, some yeah, people I don't like, have any manure. I don't have any manure. I got you. I don't you. have any manure here, yeah. so yeah, yeah. So I'm just like I don't. And then it becomes a problem where okay, I don't have the animals. They're not my animals. So now I have to trust right and and interrogate the person. I have to interrogate the person on where they're feeding. It's just too much to keep track of somebody else's feeding schedule for their plant for their right. animals. Right. So I find that it's basically comes down to once again, if, if it, if it's not grown here on my farm and right. I don't control it or, or have, to, I just don't fuck with it. Then I don't have to think with, then I don't have to think about it. And so just that alone is eliminated, you know, how almost everything, you know, like, you know, I mean, yeah, I've got some neem here and I've got some bag, a bag of kelp and some neem and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, I use it so little that, you know what I mean? It's like, it lasts me for like years, honestly. I just use it in my teas or, you know, whatever I'm putting in my tea. I have some basic stuff, but, you know, I don't really buy anything for the most part. I, like I said, I spent like a hundred bucks last year, mm -hmm. grew a couple over 200, 250 pounds, couple hundred uh 250 pounds for about a hundred bucks and my all my can all my weed tested out over 30 i think my lowest test was uh my cherry lime was like 26 percent thc was my lowest test everything else was like 30 33 basically 33 basically about 32 33 34 percent thc so i'm hitting i'm hitting the numbers i need to hit Right. I'm not spending the num the weed the money that I don't want to spend, and I'm eliminating doing you know several other all these other things. So you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm winning. That would be considered a win win. As, you well, know, yeah. if you <laughs> have worms, if you have weed, and if you have biology, and you do, obviously. my worms. Are yeah, worms provide the biology, yeah. as does. The leaf mold, which gives you uh, fungi on, and uh, oh, what's the other one? Um, yeah, all the no, the uh, anyway. So yeah, you're getting the bacteria from the castings. We're extreme, uh, multi-dimensional, uh, and different varieties of bacteria in, in the vermicompost, and then you're getting massive different types yeah. of uh from the uh from the leaf mold so though that combination yeah, is going to give you a really uh it's going to give you a really balanced uh, uh micro herd see the problem is from my perspective is this that a few years ago the term microbe got really hip so we're all going to do microbes right and so what was the solution oh well we'll get them in a right. bottle 
you know, you just, you just pour a couple uh, shots in a gallon of water and mix it up and there's your microbes. All right. So we can put that issue off to the side. God forbid you actually have some scratch in the game, yeah. you know, and create some vermicompost and create some thermo, thermophilic compost and approach it like a true agronomist instead of a grocery store customer, you know. Yeah. And there's there's where you see the well, in my yeah, opinion the problems. Like yeah, well that's why I never that's why I just kind of just found and you know like like I yeah, I was saying like like back in the day when everybody was like trying to find solutions to problems and I just kind of you know just did a, like went a whole different route which was kind of what what you're saying, you know, it's just uh by by using the the microbes that are on the property i'm like it just seems so stupid to buy a microbe i'm like buy some no that's just they're everywhere why am you know but you know i mean i'm not a farmer i wasn't raised as a farmer i'm like a welder and a carpenter and a tractor guy you know what i mean i wasn't raised as a farmer so i don't have the i don't have the science and the backing of science and that education you know that's just the, what it is but but i'm just good with systems I'm really good with seeing like systems to help things work well, because I'm really mechanically inclined. So I think right. that's where a lot of the people, you know, you know what I mean? You know, that, that, that system that supports the biology, which is generally kind of a mechanical thing. You know what I mean? It's like, whether that mechanical, it's like, you know, like smart pots and a raised bed out of, out of redwood. Yeah. I mean, raised beds are better than smart pots, but in reality, a raised bed is just a pot. Pots and raised beds are the basically the same thing with different material. And in my opinion, they both suck because whatever they just do, um, you know, they just it just sucks having to water them. Basically, that's my that's my thing. They just they suck water and they're not, you know, there's just so many issues with them that, you know, once you've run a, a more efficient system, it it becomes you know, bla blaringly obvious that there's a better way than a raised bed or pots or, you know, obvious, you know, it's just obvious, but, you know, kind of like that's where the whole like Dem pure, um, what is it? We have to have a uh, six closed loop systems. One of those is like the, uh, um, you know, growing in the ground, um, yeah. um, you know, or, or even doing like Josh and Kelly do, you know, they have like their wallapini set up, which is like, you know, subterranean, I'm kind of more of like a subterranean thing. So I get my root zone. I'm really big on my cool root zone thing and protecting my root zone and keeping, keeping it as cool as possible. And that's really why I'm able to do what I do also, because my root zone stays so cool that, um, you know what I'm saying? That the microbes can just exist and then it's just, uh, there's a lot of things going on. And I believe that when you're in the ground, you have like the hydrological pressure of the earth, you know, which is keeping the water, you know, in place, opposed to when you're in a pot or a raised bed, gravity is just sucking that water. It's just gravity is pulling the water away from the roots, period. And, and that's what just like bugs me. You know, that's what I just like, don't like. Like I like when the water stays like the, it's in the earth and the earth is like keeping the water where it needs to be. 
You know, it's a, it's a really strange dynamic. It's really hard to like scientifically explain. I've been witnessing it for 20 years, you know, for pretty much 20 years. Cause I've installed these pit systems for like over 20 years, about 20 years. So um, some of them are still going. I, there's one that's pretty much 20 years old, still going. Mine's 18, you know, but you, so I've been, I've been really watching plants in, in, in this system. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's like so easy compared to like anything else. But it's, uh, you know, due to the, the regulations and, you know, in the way things are, you know, I don't have that system installed everywhere because, you know, back in the day it was like all I needed. So, you know, it just, uh, anyway, things have changed a whole bunch and, uh, that's that, but, you know, so I don't know. That's just one of the, one of the reasons why I feel like what I do works well is because I have a system to support it, but yeah, I think anybody can, uh, do anything close to it. You know, I think just, you know, just plants just like to be better off. They just, you know, are happier in the ground. You know, it's just like one less thing to buy the pots, you know, you don't have to buy a pot. You know, that's why I really like Hugel beds, you know, like I have a tractor. So, you know, I'm, I'm, it's also easier for me because I have an excavator. So, you know, I'll, I'll take that. That's why I say I'll put more energy energy on the front end and then on the back end, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to dump pots out, you know, and reamend soil and flip it and did it. Like, I don't do any of that. I don't fuck with pots or, you know, so it really has saved me huge amounts of labor um, uh, over the years. It's kind of an exponential savings that is paid for itself by maybe the more expensive install, you know, cause you're, you're installing like this pit system, but um, you know, it just kind of works uh, really well we've been able to grow like some of the most uh, sensitive plants in there. Plus I grow food in there too. So I'll grow weed and potatoes and okra and uh, South African ground cherries. And, you know, I don't buy cover crop. I just, you know, collect my seed and, you know, growth, let things go to seed. And, you know, so I'm really just uh, trying to use, you know, I like nettles. Nettles is great. I just use anything any invasive plant that's like, that works for me, I'll grow, you know, in there with it and just, just keep chopping and dropping stuff and layering mm-hmm. compost and mulching and, you know, just keep it going, you know, and the worms obviously are huge. The worm castings are huge. And, and then the uh, cannabis leaf mold is just uh, gold. That's my gold right there. You know what I mean? I got piles of can. I mean, this, the system I'm running, I'm running for from two years ago, on two years, I'm running for two years on two years, two years ago leaves. So I made my bet, my, my four, whatever, three, two, three, four, bar- four barrels of uh, JLF. And I've been using those for like over two years. I just dumped them out this year and refreshed them just because I was like, oh, I'll just start over like for fun, you know? So I dumped a couple of them out. So I would just, you know, Which, start I'm, fresh with a I'm couple not- of them and. I'm not familiar with the term JLF. Um, like the Jadam liquid fertilizer. It's oh, I'm like sorry. Okay. Okay. You know, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 The yoga. Yeah. You know, stuff. just, yeah. just, uh, yeah. Yeah. So just been like using that, those, those barrels for like two years. So, I mean, that's how, I mean, that's how efficient that is. I mean, 
like I have a bunch of leaves from this harvest this year, right? So just from one round of leaves is enough JLF for like two years worth of growing, like easily. No problem. Um, that's how, so it's pretty much, it's pretty closed loop. I mean, I, that loop is pretty close. I have an excess of, you know, materials that I'm producing that, you know, it's really easy to build soil at this rate, you know, especially with all the stalks, chipping the stalks and fermenting stuff. It's just, you know, just keep it, keep it building, just keep building soil. Right. That's what it's at. Feed the worms, build soil cycle nutrients, make, keep your microbes happy. Um, you know what I mean? Keep the microbes happy is like the biggest thing and then try to use as little water as possible while still accomplishing the task at hand. And like in, in 2017, when we, we took third at the Emerald cup, you know, we, uh, I didn't water that round for a month when I finished it. Cause I was really letting it, I was like, okay, I want this really to express itself. I really want to see what this strain can do. And it was, it was expressing itself. It was just going and I, I just stepped back and let it for a month, didn't water it. Um, and that round, that, that round took third at the Emerald cup in 2017, which was, um, the biggest year ever. There were the most entries that, that year ever. It was a really competitive year. Everybody was really like flexing that year. They're like, I think I got it. I think I got it. I was like, man, everyone's like, they were giving me a complex uh, all day. Everybody was flexing. Like they were like, yeah, I'm going to win it. I'm going to win it. I was like, Whoa, I just entered my head stash. I don't know, man. Like, I don't fucking know. I just entered my head stash. We placed third. It was pretty dope, you know, um, just because we, we didn't know if we could really grow or not. You know, it's like, you know, when legalization or whatever you want to call it, legalization. Yeah. Uh, you know, when yeah. bullshit, yeah. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we just didn't know that, you know, if we like, should we keep growing? Should we try to license? Do we actually yeah. know what we're doing? You know what I mean? We didn't really even know, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I fucking knew I didn't know. So this has all been just like a huge learning curve for me. You know, just, uh, I've just been learning the, the community has been teaching me a ton, you know, just learning from other farmers and, you know, you guys just specifically, so just to give you a frame of reference, this season coming up, the uh, the main one that I'm involved in, this will be the seventh year of using the same soil. Uh, these are uh, four yard, four yard, uh, and there's a reason for the smart pots are put into the ground. That allows us to spread. Uh, chain link fence on the bottom to act as some kind of a barrier. Maybe they'll hit their head trying to get in, but moles and gophers and the other, <laughs> you know, shit. Um, totally. But yeah. yeah, we do not dump soil. That's just insane. It's a, a soil. Yeah. I'm not trying to no, be no, trite, totally. but it's, it's a no, living yeah, no, entity. With like smaller pots. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. That's, right, that's right, all. Right. No, yeah. No. Yeah. You know what I mean? With like, you know, like a lot of people just run like smaller pots and like, you know, they just like 
burn and you know just flip flip and burn you know just oh, yeah, fucking, know. Yeah. you know what i mean just quick yeah. quick flipping burning you know whatever or, yeah. or even in raised beds like no i hear you yeah bigger pots but yeah then their lifespan on the pots is only so long as well on the smart pots after like five years they start degrading in the sun oh and, yeah you know but yeah. hey look yeah that's why the pots that are used in, in nurseries to produce uh, nursery stock producers, all right, so that uh, they sell or, or supply places like Home Depot and your Walmarts and, you know, your all that stuff. Those pots, those black ones, those are like thrown together. It's it's a temporary thing to get them out of, uh, get the plant up to a certain market height, depending on whatever it is you're growing and get it shipped to bumfuck Egypt and get it sold. And the person's going to take it home and take it out of the pot. They're, they're not even designed to be long, long-term They're by their very uh, composition. It's the worst kind of plastic. You wouldn't believe what they'll accept at the, uh, uh, where, where they make them. Uh, they take donations of plastics that other oh, wow. recyclers won't use. Okay, because incompatible. I'm not a plastics guy, but I just know there's different right. types and you know the compatibility and blah blah blah, and the stuff that they actually. So they're probably they're probably pretty contaminated. Huh? I don't mind. I'm not no that contaminated in themselves. No, I'm not saying that at all. I mean they're heated up to some insane temperature, so I'm sure that they're they're rendered inert. But I'm just saying that they're not designed to be. When people tell me, oh, I've had these pots for six years, I'm thinking, why would you do that? I mean, they don't cost anything. Fuck. Go get it, you know, spend two bucks or, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, don't try to bring everything yeah, into the, under budget, you know. <laughs> I just think, yeah. well, because, so, it, I mean, all right. We, we use... Well, here's, a, here's an example why I wouldn't use them. Okay. So they're not finished on the outside or the inside. So those create pockets where pathogenic uh, microbes can create colonies. So every time you touch it, it's on your hands. And if you touch the leaves and like you're moving leaves around it, you know, you're moving your plants around. I mean, it just becomes a, you know, put on some rubber gloves or, you know, wipe it down with a piece of cloth and, you know, some alcohol, put some effort into it. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I think it just, maybe comes down to awareness, you know, like just catching anything like that, having the eye for it and then looking yeah. for it. Cause you yeah. know, we've never, we've never really had any problems like that. And, you know, we just That's keep great. like a close eye on everything and I don't wear gloves. You know what I mean? I just don't, I'm like old school. I'm like, we don't really have any real problems, so to say, because, you know, we just keep it real you know, lockdown tight. See, that's going to depend where you live. I live in an area that has 400 varieties of powdery mildew, just that one, that one pathogen, 400. So cleanliness becomes an absolute. It's when people say, well, all all you have to do is turn. Yeah, right. You know, I don't want to hear all you have to do. It's, you know, powdery mildew is the most studied uh, pathogen around the world, literally, 
because it adapts so easily to all kinds of climates. But in the Northwest where I'm at, between the mountains and the Pacific Ocean, you have thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of nursery stock. And so you can see where the problem comes in. And not, we're still not even talking about agriculture and orchards and grains. I mean, all those plants right. have different uh, get powdery. Yeah. different variety types, yes. Like one of them is even white. Like the one that hits apples is called black scab. That's a powdery mildew, but it's black. So if you're only looking for white, uh, yeah, good luck. You know, right. see what happens. So uh, yeah, we 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 don't really get much powdery mildew here. I mean, we just don't personally. I think just because of the way I cool. maintain shit, and I, I don't tolerate. I don't tolerate mold and PM. Like I have zero tolerance for that shit. Absolutely zero. Cause I can smell it. I don't know about y'all. Can y'all smell mold? Especially can if smell mold, mold. Like, yeah. If it's any kind of decently populated on the planet, absolutely. It's, it's night and day different. Um, one thing too, I yeah. think a lot of people don't trash plants to get PM. Look, you're going to have a small fraction, maybe 25 yes. to 30% of the plants. And this is all cannabis genetics that you prop. There's some type of PM. There's thousands of species of PM, but there's a handful of ones that will grow in your particular area. Right. And they will respond differently than ones compared to you know other places. But just trash those, right? There's so many cannabis cultivars. You, you don't, why would right. you say and pull your hair out and fight these cultivars when you can right. trash them? any number of thousands of different cultivars it just doesn't make any sense but it's a huge no, absolutely and not even that you're saying in, in the old days grow, yeah just get a different cultivar yeah grow what grow what likes your climate i think saying? one of the biggest failures i see at, at commercial yeah. operations that don't understand that component especially on outdoor operations they don't understand grow what's already adapted to your climate why would you try to grow something that isn't right adapted to your yeah it's, struggle and not only that but those cultivars i'm gonna to have to spend three times as much on ipm compared to all the other ones why would i do that i, I can just right. choose not to spend the money yeah. <laughs> and let's say well, you did the old the, uh, uh, let's say you did the old uh, style of gardening uh row gardening so you got a row of uh tomato plants you got a row of peppers row of corn blah 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 okay and let's say you get product abc and comes highly recommended you mix it and you hit your garden and everything responds except for the tomato plants excuse me the roma tomatoes the cherry tomatoes are fine the beefsteak tomatoes are fine but not this one so it can come not only the atmosphere or area geographically that you're at but the specific type uh, a cultivar is where I guess I'm grasping for here. So there is no broad spectrum. Hey, this is all you got to get, man. Get the, get the ABC or the XYZ and, you know, mix it and tell Jeff I sent you and, you know, you'll be home free. If it were that easy, I mean, growing plants here in the Northwest yeah. or in California in nursery situations where, I mean, a thousand acres is not a big nursery. And so you figure that they sell and move over a quarter million plants a year easily. So if it were that easy, 
if all you had to do is buy this product and mix it and spray it, that person would be wealth, more wealthy than any other human on the face of the earth. Because it, it's, it's a worldwide issue. Powdery mildew is not unique to the Northwest. It's not unique to Lithuania or because it adapts. It adapts to yeah, the it, plants that are grown and it yeah, adapts to the weather patterns. Say, I was like, that's There's thousands of species of people. That's what I was going to say is you have to, we have to adapt as well, farmers. Yeah, we have to adapt to it. So we have to keep adapting that way. If we see a problem, we have to anticipate and adapt and see that coming. And that's just part of the game, right? That's why you yes. got to stay on your toes and work with nature and not fight it and try, and try not to, um, uh, you know, impose your will on, on the nature, but let it right. just kind of run itself and just be part of the system, not try to control it like a control freak, like humans are, create problems so that we can put out fix the problem so that we, we, we feel useful. You know, that's what a lot of people do, you know, that they're just like flexing to make themselves feel cool and useful and creating problems and doing unnecessary shit like left and right, you know, but nature the just world, like operates on its own. Accord. You around are, the world, there's 3,875 uh, species of powdery mildew. And between British Columbia and about Sacramento, basically, on the west side of the mountains toward to the Pacific Ocean, there's almost 400. So that's basically a little bit over 10% of the world's total. Um, yeah, wow. and it, it affects everybody. Orchardists. Uh, Row crops, uh, yeah. nursery stocks, yeah. cannabis growers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody's immune in spite of their claims, you know, about that. Oh, pesticide. I thought we were talking about fungi. I'm sorry. Oh, no, just, just you know, just because this has a lot of natural, you know, um, uh, you know, just plant-based, this is just all plant-based um, ferments, essentially. Okay. Or, um, you know, so you can basically, you know, like I've been just using um, like bracken fern mm -hmm. and, and like horsetail, basically mm -hmm. like bracken fern. I've been, I haven't had any bug. I didn't have any bugs issue, issues this year. I've just been doing what I'm doing with my, with my basic, your basic plants, making some natural pesticides, which, you know, um, you know, out of garlic or rosemary and, um, Ro you know, I love herbs and rosemary is wonderful. So is lavender. Basically that all those things. Yeah. Rosemary, oregano, thyme, lavender, yeah. um, mints, you know, just all of those, all like whatever I eat, like I'll spray that on the plants. You should be able to spray whatever you're spraying on the plants in your eyes, you know, practically like in your face, you know, if, it, if you spray it on the plants, you should be able to spray it in your face. You know, like it should, it should just be like, you know, if I I'll get a left in my face, I'm not worried. I'm not trying to, eat it. you know what I mean? All right. Maybe not no, I know. I, eye, just, but, I was just, yeah, you know, 
You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I'm having a little trouble picturing. <laughs> it's uh, pretty benign. Everything. Spraying garlic and rosemary in my eyes, but yeah, uh, everything I. I get your point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You it's know, edible. General, I mean, I'm not saying it's. Uh, I just, it's I guess I, yeah. I guess I, I said. I guess I say that as a joke because in the Jadam book, it shows Young Sang's daughter and his son, and his son is like spraying his daughter like in the face with the natural pesticide because he's like, sure. this is how natural it is. You know, like you can spray each other in the face, like, ha, huh? you know, it's just they're just messing right. around, you know? Right. Right. It's. Have you done any But, work? you know, anyway. Have you done any yeah. work with the IPMO with the uh, the IMO collections for pest control agents? You, um, yeah, you know, it's kind of like uncontrolled. It's kind of, yeah, because, uh, you know, I'm using like my JLF as pest control. That's kind of what I'm saying, you know what I mean? So oh, that's what I'm, that's my JLF is just, that, that's why I was referring to a different process, but that, that's I, I, um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was you, you seem to be more of a guru when it comes to the fungi aspect of KNF and or natural farming in general. Um, do you have any advice for people trying to you know, specifically increase the fungal uh, aspect of their soil base? Um, you seem to be very much adept at that, having looked at all of your, your pictures and doing the research for this episode, you, you seem to be the guru of gurus when it comes to the fungi aspect more than just about anybody else that does natural farming. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the methods that you use to increase the fungal um, populations in your soil? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really rather simple, you know, just because, um, you know, wood chips and um, biochar and then you know, and then inoculating any of these, you know, there's, you could make, you could take it, you know, IMO three, four, and five, if you want to like, you know, if you want to integrate some biochar in, you know, into an IMO pile, you have to work up to that. Or you can just kind of just have, make biochar, buy biochar, um, inoculate that in uh, many different ways, um, as long as it's, you know, basically using wood chips as, as your base for like a fungal base, you know, and that's why I use wood chips so much because there's so much uh, fungal mass available right there. And then I'll just, and then I'll utilize like wood chips, you know, and the, before you know it, you're just doing an IMO pile. You take your wood chips, your leaf mold soil, and then any food stock that you might have on hand, which could be almost anything possible, depending on what you've got, you know, um, and then just, you're basically just going to feed it from there, whether you're obviously it needs to be in contact with the ground. That's a really important thing. Like don't do it on concrete or tarp or anything like that. I always like to, you know, build soils and stuff on the ground. So it has, um, a lot of contact and, you know, just, and then just, um, yeah, I guess just wood chips and are just obviously a great source, you know, for fungal dominant, fungal dominant source and obviously leaf mold soil. That's like your engine, right? You know, that drives it. So you need that. And then you're just start cooking it up, you know, just start combining those, 
those ingredients together. Um, or you could just, you know, lay, do like a lasagna tech and, you know, layer of wood chips. You can just layer stuff, mix it. You can kind of do whatever you need to do, depending on what system you have in place, you know, whether if you're in pots or you're in a big raised bed or you're in the ground or, you know, I, I feel like that also has a lot to do with how one might introduce you know, those fungal um, inoculants, which basically a really good way, you know, is also doing like, like, like li liquid IMO. Um, that works really well. Um, yeah, I think, you know, kind of like that. It's really pretty simple. And of course, the, the, the worms just any, you know, you can spray, you can you can do a lot of different sprays and stuff like JLFs, JMS, um, worm, worm, uh, worm teas or compost tea or basically a combination of any and all of those onto your onto your base that you're working with. And, you know, I've got a lot of biochar I'm working with, so I'll basically, you know, spray that down, leave it on the ground. I'll take like a bunch of leaf mold soil and kind of take my tractor and kind of bank it. And then I'll make a bunch of biochar and kind of bank it on like, like a big pile of like a berm. I'll berm up some leaf mold soil with my tractor doing some earthworks. And then I'll make a whole bunch of biochar. And that way it's, it's, it's kind of just blended into that. And then I'll just go and like spray some FAA, you know, fish amino acid on it some JLF, some JMS, you could pee on it, um, you know, compost tea, basically all of that, do any and all of that. Um, and then it just starts popping off, integrate some uh, wood chips into it and let it sit for a minute. That's a really good way to, uh, to, to get, just to uh, simply, really simply, it might take a while to do that. It might take a minute, um, but it'll, it works like simply, you know, if somebody wants to just like simply, you know, try to build some, some piles like that. But if you want to speed it up, then you want to start doing like your, you know, your thermophilic composting processes and, you know, that's really what's up, you know, cause then you're just speeding up time. You're making it happen right now and then it's available and you can use it. You know, so if you have a lot of time, you can just take your time and let things sit and, you know, let the wood chips break down over time and all that. But if you're like, don't want to wait, then you can just start, you know, you know, working your IMO piles, you know. So I would say learn how to work, you know, make IMO, different IMO piles, you know, I one through five, whatever you want to do. But you know, I just, you know, like, yeah. So I think, you know, it's probably, it's probably just, you know, cause like that, that's pretty much all my inputs that I'm using is like I said, the leaf mold soil, cannabis leaf mold, you know, um, IMO, IMO three, four and fives, um, liquid IMO, compost tea, worm castings, wood chips, biochar, inoculated biochar. And then obviously a whole bunch of other plant material, but you know, so a lot of those things are naturally fungal dominant and 
and it's really not that hard to, to make, you know, to, uh, you know, make them bacterial dominant as well. Cause I mean, there's tons of bacteria alone in the leaves, all the, you know, uh, endophytic bacteria in the leaves alone is, is what you're culturing. So that's what I'm basically culturing. And then I'm spraying that back on the leaves, feeding that to the plants. So it's really like closed loop endophyte cycling. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. I think that, I think, uh, but yeah, just any of those ways of, uh, working with the fung fungal dominant, you know, um, bases like that, they just, uh, real easy to work with. Honestly, it's real simple. That's kind of the beauty of it. That's really the beauty of it is that it's just so simple. You know, it's so easy. That's what young saying always says when you're, if you take, get, if you're blessed to take a class with him and learn from him, it was so funny. Cause he's always, he kept saying, he kept having us say it's so easy, you know, cause it is, it's so easy. You know, it really is. Um, so that being said, yeah, just, you know, just use what you got, right. You know, and just kind of adapt it to what you're trying to do, I think, cause yeah, everybody has a different goal or need on where they're trying to go with their farming practices and their, you know, so I think that's almost where it depends on, you know, what you're really trying to do, what your soil is like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, that's a big part of it because each, each method could work better depending, you know, it just depends if you're trying to build soil structure, you know, you want to spray some JMS and let that just break up your soil. It's like magic. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a lot of different ways to, it's like, there's a lot of ways to just uh, do the same thing. It's kind of like, that's why natural farming is so simple. It's just almost too simple. It's taken us a while, right? To get back to this. And it's like really simple. It's just kind of funny, you know? <laughs> it's taken us a minute. Absolutely. Uh, have you worked on did that, any- Did that make sense? Absolutely. Um, have you worked on any type of unique uh, KNF methodology or, or maybe not KNF, but natural farming methodology or something maybe different that you've kind of worked on your own based on the different inputs that you have on your property? I find that uh, pretty much everyone I talk to in natural farming kind of has things that are unique to, the, to their local area that's plentiful that they have as a resource. Uh, what have you found that's been kind of a cool local resource or something that's been, you know, maybe uniquely special to your farm? Well, I mean, we have a lot of wood chips. I, don't, I wouldn't call them unique, you know, but it's like, you know, I, I kind of like my wood chips because it's kind of like they have a lot of meat on the bone, if you will, for the microbes. So it really gives them something to like chew on. Um, one thing that's unique that I do is uh, my rock mulch which is kind of unique. I really like to heavily mulch with, with rocks. Like, so like, you know, I just really, I feel like um, that's something that's unique. Maybe I don't see a lot of people necessarily doing that. Um, 
in in my grow in my beds even in my beds or in the pit especially i have a lot of like rocks like good sized rocks in there like and they serve a lot of purposes honestly um just like you know if a plant is sick for example a plant is having a problem and it'll grab onto that rock and it'll it'll scrub it and try to you know get what it needs to so it can be healthy you know so it'll be kind of like the roots will literally scrub the rock and um Plus, I've noticed all the plants that are always next to these nice big rocks, they always are healthier. And if you lift up the rock, what do you always see under a rock, right? You see like, like uh, diversity, like there's like bugs and worms and, you know, castings and biology and it's like moisture and it's like warm and it's happy. And so, I don't know, it's something I do that's kind of unique, I, you know, maybe not necessarily like an I mean, I do have an abundance of wood chips and rocks. So, you know, honestly, it's pretty simple. But one thing I, I like to do with the rocks is like rock mulch, because now we've entered a time of fire, right? So wood chips are flammable. So if you go, they're great. Wood chips are great for building soil. They're great compost, you know, in your compost. They're great for mulch. They're great for everything. I love wood chips. Um, they're high fungal, right? So you, but then they're exposed and then they're flammable. And that's kind of a problem now because like I've seen people's, you know, shit burn up because from that, because of that. So I really, I'm trying to almost like not have exposed wood on, 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 on any exterior build outs, you know, like Hugel beds with all of the wood hidden in the ground, buried in the ground, wood chips, not enough. So it's burnable. And then you like mulching it with like rocks, honestly. So it's like, it's better than wood chips because you don't have to keep applying it. They're kind of like, there, just like, a, like, a, it's okay. Once again, it's a lot of work on the front end, right? Moving rocks, harvesting rocks, moving rocks around. It's like, are you fucking serious, bro? Everyone thinks I'm crazy. They're like, are you nuts? But the reality is, is, uh, you know, it works. And the plants like love it. And Sepp Holzer, you know, is kind of on the same mentality. He talks about that using rocks because plants love them and they have a lot of value in a natural farming. I used all of the, uh, the well drillings. When we drilled a well, I used all of the rock dust. I was a little nervous too. Oh yeah, I was nervous for heavy metal contamination and di different things, but I decided that I was gonna go for it in smaller batches. And I used all of the, the rock dust from my well when it was drilled through uh, this blue schist. I used that as a... You know what I mean? Instead of uh, instead of buying um, like volcanic rock dust, I used well drillings and I popped off in some IMO pile with that. I made an IMO pile with that. Holy shit. That thing popped off like like I, I couldn't believe it. It was it was it got hot quick. It popped off hardcore. You know, it's like 
you know, that's the thing. I'll, I'll be cooking up piles of like random, you know, I'm like really creative. Like I might not be able to tell you exact ratios of things really at all. Cause that's not how I operate. I'm kind of more of an intuitive cook. You know what I mean? I can make shit taste good, but you know, I might not could tell you how to do it, but you know, I, I kind of can, it's a little bit, you know, cause all of the materials are so variable that I'm using, you know, when you're a natural farmer, you're, you're using what you got, right? So things change, you know, so you adapt, you run out of materials. You're like, Hey, I used all that up. I got to go get, I'm now I'll use this, you know? So you just have to keep adapting. I think that's key to it is just uh, keep adapting. And, but yeah, I like to use like rocks and, you know, which, you know, which obviously like Leighton talks about, you know, and I don't, I don't, you know, understand his, you know, the, his, his soil terminology as much as like, you know, you guys like listening to him, but you know, the rocks are obviously a really important part of like a living soil system. I think a lot of people overlook them because it's like, you know, it's like traditionally you're trying to get the rocks out of the soil, like till it, remove all the rocks. It just depends on, you know, what, what style of farming you're doing. I found that the, the hardest to do, part, you know, like a polyculture. The hardest part about that component is that you're trying to find rocks that are not high in heavy metals or other things that are going to also be negative in the system. And that's the hardest portion when you're trying to find out the right source of material for that. I mean, we're seeing is, these issues with rock phosphate um, and um, glacial rock dust. Um, depending on where it is that they source that from, it, it's not always a good thing um, because of, of state testing. Yeah. And, stuff so um that's why it is important to know that and all these different agricultural websites have to have the agricultural reports and heavy metal reports when they register these things with the epa for for registration for resale they have to have all that stuff it has to be publicly available so all of these things are within your grasp and you can just go to their website for these companies and get those things and ensure you before you purchase that you're getting stuff that isn't going to be an issue later on yeah, yeah, it's called no, it's yeah, called totally. basalt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've... yeah, the blue schist, the basalt. Yeah, like in Hawaii, it's called bluestone. The Northwest and Hawaii have, the, for our purposes, has the best basalt for agronomy because it's of its hardness. Um, you know, most of the earth is covered with. That. Most of the earth is covered with basalt. Okay, it's basic yeah, geology. Yeah, well, you, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to get into it, but Steve had a guest on that was warning me about the dangers of basalt. I said, well, my God, the whole fucking planet must be contaminated then. I mean, the whole bottom of the ocean <laughs> is covered with basalt. You know? Um, right. Well, the thing right. is, different parts of the yeah, world. Yeah, I was a little nervous, you know. I was a little nervous yeah. doing it, but... And it's was, very... It it's, right. I haven't found it, any tests. As its very basic definition, okay, soil is made up of decomposed animal rock. and or plant material and rock dust. How did the rock dust get there? It got there through lichen, lichen pulling off minute layers of, of uh, rock over billions of years created soil. So 
it, when you're mixing, when we mix a potting soil, a, an artificial soil, not adding rock dust, you didn't right. do, you didn't finish the job. I mean, that's a basic component. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's a it's an anchor for fungi. Number one, one of the biggest reasons, but also the chemical reactions with those uh, particles that create specific enzymes that are necessary for the health and integrity of the soil. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff that's promoted by the yeah. stoner crowd is basically, it's a, not basically, it is, it's aluminum and silica. Uh, azomite, bentonite, zeolite, those are all luminous silica compounds. Why would you want to add aluminum to your soil? I mean, it's absurd. No, totally fucking not. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a, it's in their clays. I mean, if you went yeah, to a ceramic supply house, I don't either. I, the only thing I get is uh, basalt. Comes from uh, right here in the Northwest, Cascade Minerals. And uh, it's the hard stuff. And yeah. friends of mine no, in Hawaii, they use the bluestone, which is really inexpensive in Hawaii. But I mean, trying to imagine if you're in the Midwest trying to get basalt, there aren't any volcanoes around. So it all have to be shipped in. Right, right. So I'm just using basalt, like even rock, as, yes. as my yeah. rock mulch. Yeah. You know, what I mean? from the creek. So they just kind of like love it. Right. But I wanted to address you one thing you said about uh, bacteria versus uh, fungi dominant, and then we want to throw in protozoa. But back to the uh, worm castings, the worm cast, worm, vermicompost is created almost exclusively through bacteria. So one of the complaints legitimate about uh, that material is that it's very weak or, or completely absent of fungal colonies, fair enough. So your leaf mold, that's a massive amounts of fungal colonies. Uh, for that to turn it from leaves into soil, that's a, a fungal driven process. So those two together, the worm castings and your uh, leaf mold, you got the best of both worlds. I mean, you got it going on. Yeah, the, the, the soil. Yeah, the soil texture. It's like I literally. Yeah. Here, look. Yeah, I have like. Here's like a jar of of uh, leaf mold of of uh, cannabis leaf mold that's forming. Right. It's hard to see. It was, uh, it was from, uh, this was part of my uh, display from the Emerald Cup at our booth. Cool. I was showing people like, you know, what leaf mold is. Cause it was really funny. I was, I was nervous about showing a jar of moldy leaves because I didn't want people to think like, who the fuck is this guy with a jar of moldy leaves? Yeah, but I'm like, right. this jar is really, this jar is really special to me. Like, this is one of the most special, this is like, this leaf mold, what it represents in what I do, and and like it's very undervalued. I feel like people undervalue this, and to me, it's a it's really highly uh, valued. I, I'm, you know, like when I see somebody like raking leaves, when I see somebody raking leaves under their under a fruit tree or picking up the fruit off of the ground and throwing it in the garbage or something or like raking. <coughs> 
I literally almost, oh, yeah. you know, and I'm like, ah, it's feel like I'm freaking out, you know, like, yeah. like, what do you like? Okay. Okay. You know, just stay calm. They just don't know. They should just leave it all there on the, you know, you know, when you really understand, you know, when you really understand how nature works and you just kind of let it do its thing, it's really a lot simpler than we realize. We've just yeah. complicated, complicated it to such degrees that, you know, now we're finding our way back to that because of the way the world is, you know, people are, you know, shit's crazy right now. We all know that. I'm not going to talk about it, but shit's crazy. So, you know, look, they're saying how, uh, uh, you know, everything's getting more expensive. Uh, who can even afford, a, you know, buying hay now, even anything in California, buying anything, a bale of, a, a bale of hay, um, bag of anything. I mean, you name it, it's expensive. Go, anything's expensive. So, you yes. know, I'm just running off of like nothing, which is great, you know. So for me, the fact that I'm, I think I'm probably, I don't really know this. I think it, uh, I'm probably the only Jadom level of like farmer. I don't know any, you know, I'm kind of, I don't know if there's anybody else, but in the, you know, as in the legal, in the legal cannabis space, I'm probably like one of the very few, if not maybe the only, I don't know, Jadom like farmer on the legal market doing like what I'm doing. So mm. You know, it's, it's a little bit, um, it's unique, you know, there's, I'm a dem pure farmer and we all have similar, definitely have almost all, I have identical, you know, methodologies. Mine's a little bit different only because I focus solely focus on just like almost like five things, you know, my five things, I almost call it, you know, like earth, air, you know, the, just the, how I've simplified it, whatever. You know, like I've been saying, just by simplifying the process. Uh, but, but yeah, no, it's uh, that's why it works because it's simple, right? And that's what nature is. Nature is very complex, but it's also like simple. There is some simpleness about it, but it's also very complex. If you try to explain it, if you try to explain nature, we could we could talk to the cows, come home until we're all dead, and we still wouldn't actually explain it. You know, we could explain it to the, death and we still would not really know. About on the uh, on the whole, but, trying, to, trying to define the best resources when you're making compost, um, you can look at the dynamic accumulators list at uh, phytochemical.nal.usda.gov backslash phytochem slash search, which is the Duke's, uh, Dr. Duke's phytochemical ethnobotanical database. Uh, and there's a, a whole bunch of wonderful um plants and, and different compounds that you can utilize and it has all the different chemical breakdowns so that you can understand what it is that you're getting from each of those when you're adding them to your compost or your ferments or your compost teas um, and then we also have the oh open nice yeah that's project. cool we have the open nutrient project which is kind of the this um uh, open source effort between a bunch of different people that I'm working with currently to kind of um, open source a bunch of this technology. So uh, talking about different KNF, Jadam, compost, tea and nutrient ferments, uh, composts and soil preparations, um, all in one kind of centralized database, along with the ability, you know, all the different testing resources and the different inputs with links back to their resources. So we have a whole bunch of um, uh, links to different plants along with the minimum and maximum parts per million that have been tested to date 
uh, along with links to the. Oh, that's cool right there. That list is cool. Wow. That's really cool. So, so we have all of those with hundreds of different inputs for each of the different nutrients for that. And then also um, uh, testing. So all of the different liquid tests and resources to the direct link to the manufacturer, uh, retail links and, and pricing, uh, you know, tests per box, the nutrient testing range of each of the, the tests so that people can understand what it is they're testing and have the ability to test them and source the right tests for things they're trying to understand about what it is they're creating and a centralized database. So um, it's something that I'm, I'm very passionate about and I've been working on a little bit each day, uh, trying to you know build this all out. It's a huge database at this point, but um, you know I spent quite a while building it out. But I think once it's finished- Oh, wow, cool. It's so- It's gonna be a resource unlike any other for people- Oh, I see this is stuff. So you can, you can find the plants- Yeah, it looks really complete. Identify, yeah, identify the plants in your yard and what it is that the nutrients that they contain. And then the, the test kits you need to test for the things so that you can understand what it is that you're putting into your soil in an organic. Right, way. right, totally. Yeah. That's nice, does it have lamb's quarter on there? Do you have lamb's quarter? Oh yeah, we have thousands and thousands of plants in the database right now. Okay, that's, that's cool. Oh, I see, <laughs> okay, that was just like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me. Oh, I uh, see. I got you. I can actually pull up the actual database. Hold on, it's insane. Like, it's taken me a while. That's to cool. Build. So you you've been working on that. That's that's your work. That's you've been building that. Yes. So this is this. So here's all the liquid testing. Hold on, I, I got to turn sharing back on. So here's all. This is a a passion project I've been working on because I realized when I went to Africa. How can I break the system of their like reliance on Syngenta and all these other things? Well, the, the answer is how can they source the different acacia trees and grasses and things around them to create what they need for fertilizer, right? Um, that, that's kind of the simple solution. Okay. So, so, so in the, in going to Zimbabwe was really a big eye opener for me to how to merge the tech that we have with the tech that they need. Right, it's a, a wholly different kind of experience. Right. So with this, you have the full database of how to test for all these different nutrients, nutrient ranges, um, and all these things. And it's again, even the heavy metals and all the rest. Uh, and then out to, um, we have soil testing and all that equal to the same kind of thing. Uh, commercial testing, so resources for larger operations. But then if I want phosphorus, I can scroll down and look at the phosphorus containment and what part of the plant it is. So if I want to make a compost or a ferment or a tea, um, I can do that. And then I can click on one of these links and it'll immediately take me to the source data from where that came from. So you, not only do you have that, but you have where it came from. So if you want to go really dig deep, you have the option to do that really quickly. Um, but not only for all of those, but also for like, boron and molybdenum and like all these different things, silver, which is a plant important nutrient and lead and mercury and cadmium and arsenic. And, you know, where else? Is yeah, wow. Data, uh, but also separate plant lists. So there's lots of different like plant lists that have identified like different nutrients and things like that. So this is again, kind of this master database to try and, you know, uh, aggregate all of this data into one centralized thing to make it easier for both soil and, Right. If you're, you're like, yeah, yeah. If you're working with like different situations, 
this would be immensely helpful if running into like different, you know, if you were running into different situations, that would be immense. Because you could say, okay, what do we have here? And then you can really look up exactly, you know, what's in it. If you don't know, you know, if you don't know what's in it, then you can just look it up and then exactly. make it the easy to integrate it into your farming. The whole idea is to give people the ability to balance their own composts and ferments and teas to their specific needs with what's on their property. And the more data that right. we can get, Plants, the more we can help people make the right compost and do all the things that we want to do. And we're all allies, be it, you know, aquaponics or living soil growers. I think we're all uh, allied in that type of project and that type of thinking is that that's what's going to get us past this chemical um, almost handicap that, the, you know, the world has kind of known since the Second World War. I think we need to get away from that. But not only that, but when you have all these micro microbes involved, we don't have these type of fungal outbreaks. I don't have septoria in any of the fields that I manage, right? But I've seen it wreck huge fields in Oklahoma, but we don't ever see it because we have proper microbiological diversity in the soil. You know, we have healthy soil. It's very diverse. Yeah. The able to build immunity to a large range of different things. And we don't have to deal with half the shit that half of our neighbors do. And I think at the end of the day, that's what's going to get us past this kind of chemical dependency, whether or not the you know economy continues to chug along the way it is or not. Either way, we'll be fine, right? And, and the world will be better. We'll have more microbes on our food so that we get sick less often because our own immune system is going to be stimulated in those same type of ways. And we're going to be a healthier society in general. You know what I mean? Not just from from the plants, but also for ourselves and our lettuce 100%. and all the rest of it, you know, that healthy soil and biological biodiversity reduces disease. There's just tons of different um, papers on that regarding, uh, you know, uh, more um, raw foods versus processed foods. I mean, that, that's not even a question. Uh, and we have to kind of get back to that and how it was kind yeah. of depression era uh, in terms of farming. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I, I believe that once, once you know, once man, you know, stopped like wildcrafting and he started farming, you know, that's when he start. that's when man started changing, you know, that's when we start, you know, I like to eat wild foods, wildcraft, wild meat. I like to, I think that, you know, wild food and wild, you know, herbs and wild crafting and, you know, wild meats, like I was saying, I think, you know, it keeps you healthier. They're just healthier. They're, they're more nutrient dense. And, you know, so I like to at least keep like a, a, a good part of my diet like that. So, I mean, really that's not much different than what I'm feeding my plants. You know, it's kind of like real similar. That's, and that's the thing is like integrating, like you're saying, integrating yourself into your closed loop, you know, system. Right. So that way you're part of your closed loop system. You're integrated into it. You know, you're part of it. I think that, you know, how you eat, you know, like, you know, like what I feed my plants is from my property. What I eat, a lot of it's from my property. I'm eating squash and deer or, you know, um, wild mushrooms and, uh, you know, wild, wild herbs, honestly, and, you know, acorns a little bit. I'm starting to use the acorns more, just starting to eat, you know, as much wild sources of food as I can, um, 
there's not a ton, but there's, there's a fair amount, honestly, if you just, you know, plus we, we kind of even fast a lot, honestly, we fast a lot too. Like I fast a bunch. <laughs> so anyway, but that's like a whole nother thing, you know, which is, which is not, it's kind of goes into the less is more and, you know, staying hungry is kind of a good place to be. I feel staying hungry is like a good place to be. It's better than being full. You know, it's like healthier. It's healthy to be a little on the empty side than the full side. So I kind of run a little bit lean. You know, I run lean. I run pretty lean and mean. I used to say a couple of years ago, I was running lean and mean because that was the only way you could survive in this cannabis space, you know, and, and the way everything has gone where it's like, you know, you have to spend less and less money and everybody's, you know, for me, it wasn't really, you know, I already wasn't spending any money. So as watching all of this, you know, go down the economy, go down, the, you know, kind of in a, in a, in a bad direction right now, like the prices of weed have fallen out and, due to oversaturation of, you know, shitty weed and over all of that whole, all that whole thing, which we won't get into or, or we can or not. But um, yeah, I was, you know, as everyone else, like I say, as everyone else was scaling out all these years, I was not able to. So I scaled inwards, right? I became more and more and more efficient. And, you know, this has driven me to this. I, I, I didn't really intend to go, you know, to really, you know, just lock it down this hard, but it's fine. I'm like now, now literally I can, I feel like I could farm anywhere with whatever is there. I just have like a, wherever I show up, there's a farm, you know, any, any, it doesn't matter what, almost anything available. And that's where your resource, like you're making Steve, you know, where that, you know, you could show up anywhere, look up the plants that are around you, sit down for a night, do some figuring out what's high and what's this, this has this, what's high, higher now. Okay. Foster, figure out what you need with what you've got. And then just come up with like a plan and integrate it into like your farming. It's pretty awesome. Gives you the ability to do that. It's kind of funny. I'll just tell this story. I was at the Emerald cup and a hydro company guy kind of, was trying to, you know, find a, a crack in my methodology by saying that, oh, it must be really hard to, you know, be a farmer with the natural farming and stay, you know, competitive. And I was like, well, honestly, frankly, it's actually quite the opposite. The only reason that I'm able to stay so competitive is because of my natural farming, right? And then I proceeded to explain to him that I grew like 250 pounds of like some fucking fire ass weed, ask anybody. I showed them the big ass jars of my, you know, I'm like, the testing is all there. I have all the test results over 30, you know, it's all there. The, the look is there, sexy, super clean, super high. Um, I'm like, this is actually what allows me to keep operating is this natural farming, you know, that you're trying to say is just kind of, you know, hocus pocus, you know, hippie bullshit. 
but it's really, you know, it's real, it's real and it's real simple. And out of respect, you know, for the chose, you know, you know, it crushes and they've, they've taught us, a, they, you know, I've learned a lot from them. I know there's a lot of other people, but they've been a huge influence in my life just because, you know, they taught me some stuff and I don't learn from a lot of people, honestly. I don't study a lot with a lot of people or, you know, so whatever, you know, I just kind of learn from experience from doing it kind of like a school of hard knocks kind of guy, you know what I mean? Just like, I'm just a, like to get my hands dirty and do stuff and figure it out. So that's just how I've learned. So, you know, it's kind of how I've, uh, so a lot of, yeah, I don't have the science behind me, you know, but that's also why I kind of really like the Jadam because, you know, if, if you say like, I didn't have a microscope or a lot of people don't have microscopes or they, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to have a microscope to be a farmer. For thousands of years, our, 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 our ancestors farmed and they didn't have microscopes. I mean, how the hell did they know what was good or not good? And, you know, they, they figured it out, you know. Um, now we have microscopes in science. And so we can, you know, we're blessed with that now. But, you know, it's really not necessary. I mean... I've accomplished a lot with, without, I mean, I have a microscope here now, but you know, I'm still learning how to use it more and how to identify more microbes and all that stuff. But yeah, you know, it's just become very popular now to identify microbes and, and for good reason, because it's important to really quantify, you know, I guess, and this is where you start getting into sketchy, sketchy, you know, territories with the word quantifying and, you know, Jadon methodology, Young sayings like you can't quantify nature. Other people, you know, say you can quantify, you can quantify microbes in compost and compost teas. And, you know, I think uh, it's good to know what's in there. So it's definitely good to, it's like anything, like I learned the hard way, but then once I learn the science behind it, I have a lot of experience doing the thing. And then once I learn, oh, that's what that's called. Oh, that's what those once you learn what it is, then it gives it a lot of value. Once you have the experience, that's just my experience. Okay. You know, it's all I'm just, that's my disclaimer, you know, so that's just been my experience. So, um, but, but yeah, I'm learning more all the time. I'm going to take some classes and, you know, learn more about microbes and, and, and just keep, you know, learning more and more because, uh, you know, that's what's up. I, I want to learn more about plants. I'm trying to learn more about plants like that, that thing you're putting together. It's a lot of information to hold in your head. I've, I kind of have a lot of that information stored in my head. And I think lately because of, uh, you know, running a legal cannabis business takes up a lot of your head space. I, you know, have just, uh, you know, I don't think I try not to think about a lot of things other than what I need to do to survive, honestly, a lot of times, you know, lately, because it's been kind of, you know, it's been extreme these past couple of years. It's just been like disaster after disaster, you know, to the next disaster from fire, you know. So anyway, I'm just kind of babbling now, but, um, you know, but yeah, natural farming has just kind of kept me like adaptable, basically, no matter what happens, you know, I can basically adapt to it. You know, because that's what you have to do to be a, far, a successful farmer, 
And, you know, think about it. We're, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're like trying to grow, like our joke on the farm is like, we're growing like quail eggs and like, you know, and there's like fires outside and all fucking hell is breaking loose. You know what I'm saying? There's like fires. Literally we're surrounded by fires. They'll be like, you know, all kinds of shit's going down. Right. Um, and we're like growing these, like, you know what I mean? We're like these flowers that we're just protecting our flowers. Like they're just sacred flowers, you know, and it's just, it's just, a, you know, it's, it's been nuts, but we've managed to pass all our testing and uh, we've just been using natural, you know, pesticides um, um, to deal with any bugs and, you know, predators, just natural, you know, uh, pre- natural, you know, IPM just uh, with, uh, you know, native uh, bugs and stuff like that. You know, so, yeah, we're just kind of keeping it, keeping it simple, spending as little money as possible to uh, keep our costs down, which is working. We didn't spend hardly. Other tips for natural farming pest control? You what? Any other tips for natural farming pest control? Well, the bracken fern is like an amazing, you know, an amazing plant. So it's like, <laughs> like I've really been, you know, trying to kind of like, you know, as you do like farming, you know, you, as you learn natural farming, like for anybody as you get more and more comfortable, you kind of like eliminate things. It's kind of a natural process of like elimination. You find yourself eliminating buying stuff, right? And then eliminating this. And then you're like eliminating even making as much stuff as you used to. And next next thing you know, you're eliminating things. And so I've kind of eliminated it, eliminated it down to like, honestly, the bracken fern seems to work wonders for you know ipm which is one of the jadam main plants that you know he he teaches he taught us about you know that you learn about in in uh is 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 the bracken fern and um um what else was i using a lot mostly the bracken fern just because i was trying to use i just didn't want to use too many things i was trying to just see how effective one thing can really be. You know what I mean? Instead of like doing all these things, how will I know what's really effective if I'm doing all these things? So that's why, yeah, like honestly, I've been making this year, I ran my whole year on JLF, cannabis leaf, um, bracken fern and horsetail. I think that was like it. And I was spraying that on the plants as well as feeding it to the plants, of course, in different like dilutions, you know, depending on what I'm doing, but I was using that as a foliar slash um, IPM. And um, I was also from the same barrels, you know, more concentrated feeding it to the plants. So, you know, as far as uh, like, I had no real bug issues. We had like some aphids for a minute, but 
honestly, I was spraying them with uh, a heavier, a heavier concentration of my uh, JLF. And it was straight up eating them. It was straight up because, you know, it's like I'm basically, okay, so I'll take, if I have a bunch of uh, plant material that has aphids on it, I will ferment that plant material and then I'm fermenting the bugs, right? So I'll take a bunch of bugs. Essentially, if I get a hold of bugs or if I have bugs, I just straight up ferment them. So yeah, basically it started like this when the first time I did this, I thought I was crazy and I felt like I was being possessed by a, the plants. But basically when the, um, I think I had, uh, it was years ago, I had, um, broad mites. I think I had broad mites. And so I had never even heard of them. I was like, what the fuck is going on with my plants? Okay. So I took all of the, the plants that I was like, all right, I'm going to cut back a bunch of material. I killed a bunch, cut a bunch of plants up and I put them in a barrel of like a 30 gallon, a 35 gallon barrel. And I fermented it all down until it was like just, you know, liquid. I fermented it down and then I was spraying that on the plants, kind of like a homeopathic. I realized, I think it, it basically that was uh, like a homeopathic remedy is what I'm, what I'm calling it. You know, some people might think it's bullshit. Like, you know, bug, bug lady, Susan, she thinks it's bullshit. She thinks I'm crazy, but I mean, I, that's how I dealt with it. And well, no, I'll support you. At that's what I did. Thousands and it bugs. worked. And here in Oklahoma, both it's, this is Say what, what? collecting grasshoppers and other arthropods and taking some insect frass, mixing that with rice is up to 30% of your rice for an IMO collection and then doing an IMO collection and making an IMO out of that as an insect spray. And you can collect the local insect feeding fungi on the corpses uh, of the other insects that you collected or on the insect frass as that allows the um, uh, fungi to grow on it and have a host thing to grow on. And it works really well for creating kind of an insect yeah. spray for hoppers and other large arthropods. And efficacy wise, it works really well. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like figured that out kind of the hard way just by like, this has got to be real, you know, but yeah, I've been, so yeah, that's why I've been taking, if I have any bugs, I'll, uh, you know, ferment them essentially. I don't, you know, I've been just putting them into my J JLF, you know, just doing an anaerobic ferment of them. And then, you know, I haven't isolated them like you're like what you're doing you're kind of more isolating them and that's really that's really cool i should try to focus on isolating it more you know but um yeah it seemed to work basically you know so i was just trying to you know i was just trying to keep it like super stupid simple just because everything was so you know the year is crazy it's been a little crazy so um i was just trying to keep it really simple and and really try to see like how far I could take like as little as possible. You know what I mean? Like how far I could go with like, with like three things, you know what I mean? Like how much can I do with <laughs> cannabis leaf, horsetail and, and, um, and bracket, you know? So, you know, I was just trying to like, 
keep it really simple and then kind of go from there, you know, just to, uh, you know, add from there, but, you know, but yeah, no, that's cool. I would like to uh, talk to you more about that. Like what you just said about how you uh, make that inoculate. So you're actually inoculating your IMO yeah. with different I can pull predatory bugs. Yeah. One, one, uh, one second, I can actually pull it up here on the screen. That's um, cool. Here we go. So this yeah, I was kind of like going for something like that. Could I add it to my CalMag? There's not a lot of info on that. <laughs> no, there isn't. You can always add a little bit more CalMag to your CalMag good. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. So this was taught to me by Chris Trump. I was working over in Africa. I was kind of getting frustrated, didn't really know what to use next for trying to control the grasshoppers over there. And Chris Trump suggested this to me. Uh, so all credit to Chris Trump. This is not my... Oh, yeah, the press. Okay. Uh, but taking your, your target insect as much as you can collect just because they're going to have a decent base source of potentially some of the predatory fungi that may or may not feed on them. Uh, and insect frass, uh, which is easily available in anywhere in the world. Even Zimbabwe, we were able to get insect frass by the bag. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, and then mix that with uh -huh. your right. 30% of your... These two are going to be 30%. This is going to be 70%. Uh, if you mix them together to your IMO1 collection to an IMO2, stabilize it with your sugar, equal parts sugar. So you have it, you know, to keep long-term and you just take a, a, you know, a couple of scoops of that when you want to brew up a gallon or two of your, your spray. And this is the result. So this is a, a you know, fully cocooned uh, uh, caterpillar from the spray. It was totally infected by it. So. Right. Yeah. I Right, right. I was getting, I was getting that effect from, honestly, aphids this year. Um, by spraying aphids, they were basically being eaten by fungus. So that was what, uh, you know. But yeah, I don't have it down like you do. I don't have a, I don't have it down yet. Apparent like this. Yeah, right, because so I don't do the collection box, so I kind of have to modify this to kind of what I'm doing a little bit, you know, and that's kind of why I'm. Yeah, it's a little different, right? Right. I kind of have to. This is so. This is one modify of your recipe. So this is one of the many different advanced KNF methodologies I'll be talking about at the Regen Conference. Um, I have a, a bunch of different technologies. Oh, cool! On. This is just one of them uh, that I'll be talking on. But I just wanted to make sure everyone okay, nice. it or whatever to have that, you know, if they want to copy it or whatever, they're more than welcome to. Uh, I feel like the nature of natural farming is trying to open source it as much as we can, you know, especially something they can. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that was, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's about one of the, the, the things, that's actually one of the things that I've really been wanting to focus more on is that right there. So, so that's so cool. The one caveat I will say is, is that Chris Trump, um, he, him and I kind of have different versions of this. So I like to do it in the point of collection. He prefers to do it in the point of IMO3. So when you convert it to IMO3, he'll add the insect frass and the insects then and make an IMO3 or 4 and then stabilize that for a liquid IMO. Um, and that's the only difference between him and I on that. But both versions work well. 
I particularly found that the IMO one version to IMO two is just faster and easier at a commercial scale. Like there's less steps involved and it takes less time. And if I'm fighting an insect, like it needs to, I, I need to make this stuff as fast as possible uh, or I'm fucked. Right. So um, <laughs> uh, that's kind of my right. method is trying to make this as fast as possible to make it work. Um, whereas his, I think, you know, I just wanted to make sure people are aware of both versions so that if they want to kind of test both of them themselves, they have the option of, you know, adding the, the insect frass component at, at IMO three rather than IMO one. Um, and you guys can take from that what you want. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I do is I do it at the IMO three level. That's when I do that. And then, you know, if I'm doing it like that, because, yeah. Because I don't do the one and two anyway, so you know what I mean. That's just uh, yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. But yeah, um, good job. Yeah, I want to study that more. Talk more about that. That's a really interesting topic. We had someone in chat ask, "Is it possible?" Oh, nice. Yeah, go for it. Like only, is it possible to use only insect frass if you can't collect large amounts of insects? You absolutely can. It's just the fact that when you collect the target insect, you're actually potentially harvesting some of the, the pathogens that might infect it, or at least you have the base meat and the enzymes and like the chemical makeup of that target insect that's there to be infected by the fungi that are locally, you know, normally infecting them. So that's the whole concept of that. You, you can more cater it to your local uh, environment if you can do a local collection and you'll have better results, but you don't have to do that. It just makes it better. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Have you found any other? Yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Have you found any other kind of unique things that have been uh, kind of uh, insightful or otherwise um, um, educational with your natural farming research? Um, yeah, just like the whole, uh, you know, I think a lot of it is when you, you get into natural farming and then you realize like you're you really start integrating like yourself into the farming practices. You know, I think that's a really key one, you know, it's like the more you get into it, the more you start, it's like a, a lifestyle. And the more you, you just start like being obsessed with closed loops and, you know, stuff like that. And just, you know, taking better care of yourself and your, your microbiome, your gut health, you know, you know, and that's why I say like integrating yourself into your farming system, you know, because you, you're part of it, like the food you eat and the food you feed the plants. It's, you know, it's all basically like the same stuff. And that that's just so we can have like healthy plants and, and a healthy body. Right. Because that's what I think a lot of us are, you know, aiming for is like health of, you know, diversity and, and health of our body and mind and plants. And so, yeah, just kind of like, at, you know, treating yourself like you would treat your plants ideally. Right. Cause a lot of us treat our plants really well. So, you know, just treating ourselves as well as we treat our plants is kind of, you know, I think it's important to realize that it's kind of, cause we think we're, you know, it's just like a separation between, but, you know, because we don't, Traditional farming, you know, practices are so different, but now we're really integrating our lives together. So it's cool. Integrating some smoke into my lungs. 
Sorry about that. I left my dog. But yeah, it's, it's you know, and trust. <laughs> yeah, you got to trust the process. Yeah, that's a big thing. Is trust the process, right? It's like always like layers of you know developing layers of trust, trusting more and more, and and just keep trusting the process and. <clears throat> Yeah. You know, what are you, what else are you going to do? Just because any good relationship is built on trust, right? Any good relationship out there is built on trust. So yeah, we need to trust ourselves, trust our relationship with nature and just work on that. Uh, Survivor time is asking, uh, uh, I don't know if my sound is working, but anyway, Survivor time is asking, does Zelig ever test his soil? I don't know if you can hear me. Um, yeah, I've tested my soil a bunch of times. Yeah, I've tested it a bunch of times, and then I just stopped testing it because I was like, there's nothing wrong with it. And we have passed all of our – I basically like – and if there is something wrong, there's only – like, what are you going to do about it? Okay, say your test high in a heavy metal, right? Well, you can – for one, what they're going to tell you to do, you know, or anybody, they're going to – it really depends on who you talk to for advice on how to remediate your soil. But yes, I test my, I have tested my soil in the past a bunch of times. I stopped doing it because it seemed unnecessary because it wasn't a problem. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of the recommendations that so-called you know, soil science people were giving me, I was like, there's no fucking way I'm doing that to remediate this problem here with those, like, there's just, I won't get into all the specifics, but, you know, my methodology was like more of a living soil methodology. Like, okay, say you have heavy metals in your soil. Well, you know, like, what is it? The, uh, the roly polies, you know, they basically consume heavy metals. That's one of their purposes is, is I'm pretty sure is consumption of different heavy metals. Cause I went into, you know, I went down this rabbit hole when I got a false, they, uh, false they buy accumulate a lot of the heavy positive, metals the like chitin. heavy metal. And the chitin, I'm sorry. Say what? They buy accumulate a lot of it in their exoskeleton. Yeah. They yeah. store, they store it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They store it in their exoskeleton. So, you know, by having a lot of rocks and a lot of like living soil, leaf mulch and compost and, and feeding the roly polies, I literally use the roly polies. I feed them because if I don't, they go crazy. They basically start like trimming my butt. They'll, they'll start eating plants. So I got to keep them happy. If you keep your roly polies happy, they will do, I mean, they're just the frass that's coming out of them all of the, they're breaking down organic matter. They're uh, remediating heavy metals. I mean, so that's how I would deal with things, you know, um, just by using um, uh, um, mycelium and fungus and to break stuff down and make things available. Let the, you know, just let nature do its work and by, you know, uh, just natural system. Plus I've never had any problem other than that false positive which set me down this rabbit hole, which basically, and then I tested my soil again with somebody like two or three times after that and was like, okay, there's no problem. And then basically, 
Um, I've been fine since. I mean, I've passed, I don't know how many tests. We've tested our flower. We get like non-detects on everything almost every single time. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I mean, you're allowed a, a limit in the, in the heavy metals. There's a, a range there. Um, a lot of times it's non-detect every now and then it might like, you know, there's like a detection of something, but it's totally like, you know, just, you know, it's just nothing there. You know, it passes the test, like no problem. It's not even close to like a problem. So yeah, no, cause that, that really means a lot to me, all the heavy metals and stuff like that. I mean, I'm really into, um, having clean soil and, you know, and, and, and I kind of almost don't need to test my soil because I'm not putting anything in there that would contaminate my soil. Like, that's why I stopped testing it. Cause I'm like, why even test it? What is the wood chips going to contaminate it? Is the biochar going to contaminate it? Is the, the native IMO going to contaminate it in the native soil um, that I'm using harvesting from, or, or what about the, uh, the cannabis leaves themselves? Okay. The cannabis plant does take up heavy metals. Um, but you know, okay. Was that gonna, none of it's been a problem because it's not there. You know what I mean? And so, um, I've, uh, you know, yeah. So yeah, I have tested it, but not in a while. Cause it seems to be like, um, not a problem. Plus I save money not testing it. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's good to know, but honest, honestly, honestly, I, I just read the plants. Honestly, I seriously just, I look at the plants and I have such a relation with them relationship with them they just tell me what's up with i mean i can see what my i can see my soil in my plants you know so at this point you know i just try to just roll real simple um you talking i'm just about scared the lab is gonna fuck up man i'm scared the lab's gonna fuck up and tell me something you know what i mean that's i don't trust the labs unfortunately i've had so many labs mess up and give me false information um that i'm very very apprehensive about testing it you know with labs that, that that's also another thing is that the labs yeah go on sorry you talked a little bit earlier about vermiculture do you want to talk to us a little bit about your vermiculture <laughs> boots are big on vermiculture as well i'd love to yeah, hear sure you. i mean it, it's it's used to feed them and and your different methodology on on caring for them. Yeah, well, um, we keep that real, real simple too. So, you know, we have our, our worms and we're feeding them, you know, pretty much, you know, fruits and vegetables that we eat and, you know, um, cannabis waste, you know, uh, shredded, shredded stalks and stems to keep it, uh, you know, nicely aerated. I'll use like biochar in there. Um, basically like a nice mix of uh, leaf mold soil, like nice leaf mold soil, um, shredded, shredded cannabis or cannabis leaf mold um, and like biochar. So you have good drainage and then somewhere to catch all that biology. You know, the biochar is just such a key thing on so many levels. You know what I mean? It's almost like pepper. If you were cooking for plants, biochar would be like pepper. And you it just, you know what I mean? You can use it in a lot of dishes. 
in a lot of different ways. Like all these inputs, you can use in a lot of a lot of different ways. It just depends on where you need to get it into the system at the time. What are you trying to do? You know, but but yeah, with the worms, um, and I feed them, uh, you know, like our vegetable scraps and you know plant waste and um, fruits and vegetables from the property because once again. I don't want to feed them anything that, you know, I mean, all of our food is organic anyway. If we do buy anything, it's organic and, you know, but I try to just use more. Um, most of our food is like we grow on the property. I mean, you know, so, um, oh, no, I'm doing like uh, recently I'm doing, uh, I'm feeding the worms um, mushroom waste, like from, mushrooms like when i wildcraft mushrooms and i'll end up with like you know buckets of mushroom waste and i'll feed that to the worms as well because it's high in protein you know there's a they, they they just love it um it makes amazing castings you know just all the plus i've been doing a jlf matsutake mushroom jlf that's what I, I, that's my newest, uh, <laughs> cause I was, uh, you know, you probably saw those Matsutakis I had, um, uh, been harvesting this year. So I decided to make a JLF with them cause I'm like, what better use for them, you know? So I've been feeding the, the mushrooms to my worms and I've also been, uh, making a JLF out of them, you know, just getting creative with whatever I got at the time, you know? just that try to keep those around. I think that's a really valuable resource, a lot of proteins and nutrient amino acids and, you know, um, in, in those mushrooms. So I think like they're really good food source. So I was trying to, and I know they're going to get really stinky. It's going to make some really stinky JLF. And that's kind of what I go for is like really stinky, like the stinkiest JLF I can get. The nastiest smelling JLF is the best. That's the, the plants love it. This, the nastier it smells, the more the plants love it. And, you know, I'm cool with that. I don't, I love it too. I love nasty JLF, but yeah, my worms. Yeah. I'll give, I'll, they've been pretty happy this year. Yeah. I, I, I grew all, you know, used all my own uh, worm castings this year. It's a little challenging to harvest them, of course, as work, you know. I wanted to build a, like, flow-through system, maybe. That way it would be easier to harvest the worms because I don't really have the space for a, like, windrows um, and, and flat ground. So I kind of keep them in, like, these big um, horse troughs. I get these uh, not metal. They're not metal. They're pla like a plastic a bit with drainage on the bottom, basically like a giant horse trough with holes on the bottom and like a lined with like smart pot material. Um, so, you know, it'll, it, it's got really good drainage um, and I can, uh, and I just kind of like work them from side to side. So I'll feed one side of it and work it and all the worms will like go to that side. And then I can kind of, you know, harvest the castings on this side and then I'll just kind of flop it over, you know, and get them to just train them to go like side to side, you know. Here's an idea just, for uh, you. It's just. 
it was just simple. It's not very evolved yet, but it works, you know. Here's yeah, a yeah. idea. Here's an idea for you. The commercial uh, operation used what's called a vertical flow through, where you feed from the top, and as the worms yeah. migrate yeah, I wanted up. Yeah, to make one of those. Well, here's an easier way: do a horizontal flow through. So let's say you build a cabinet. Yeah, that's kind of what I do, but I don't have the flow through. I don't have the wall, but I just I kind of do it without the wall. Right. I should but use have just, the wall though. Yeah, it just takes a frame I mean? with uh, one eight uh, mesh, right. and uh, as they when they transition over the other side, then you can harvest it with a minimum amount of work in it. You're always going to have cocoons, but um, that's your right, path right. of least resistance. And then, you know, uh, as, it, that, yeah, it is. as that pile uh, begins to drop, then you start adding material on the one you just yeah. emptied out and they'll, you know, transition back and forth. I yeah. uh, just, yeah, uh, uh, com. The guy's name is Bentley, and he's been running that site for over 20 years. And he's got an archive of every kind of method. You want to do str uh, straw bale, worm bins. Uh, I know. I've looked at all. I've looked at all that, and I decided in the end to just after talking to you last time, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do like use what I got, not yeah. make anything. Yeah. Use whatever is like lying around that I'm not using, and just. And that's why, because I made them kind of big, because they, they build up pretty quick. Yeah. But I, I was going to do like a, anyway, yeah, I feel you on the, the nice thing about the side to side thing is that you can have a big, a big bin and right. you don't have to lift it. You don't have to get under right. it. You don't have any motors. You right. don't have any moving parts. Right. There's no moving parts. It's just basically, Right. Which I'm not trying to, you know, harvest the, the leachate off of the worms anyway, because that's just kind of like whatever. I mean, let me like, give I'm you not a, worried about that. Let me give you a really good solid piece of advice. If you have stuff draining out of the bottom of your worm bin, then it's not set up correctly. Yeah, I don't. I don't. No, I don't mean you. I, I just know. mean that's if, what I was if, say. if like, a person has yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. Uh, shit no, coming out, it. it's too wet. I know. I don't understand that. I don't, I don't either. understand that, it's a myth. how that even exists. Yeah. It just shouldn't even exist. It shouldn't even be. Technically, no. that shouldn't really be no. a, a product because it, yeah. in a healthy system, it would be draining. And I don't see, you know, like how you whatever. That's why a lot of these systems that design for that, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I know. Um, why is there that much moisture in there? Yeah. Um, so I don't get that, but. <laughs> You know, I try to keep it really well draining, and that's why I like the uh, the biochar. If there's any moisture, you know, it'll just you know stop it or kind of regulate moisture just in just in itself. Biochar is just like magic. Use it everywhere. Look, I got a big chunk of it right here. Yeah. Big chunk of biochar takes a lot of heat to make a big chunk like that. Right. It takes a hot fire to make a big chunk like that. I love it. You, uh, well, I, one uh, thing before I go, stuff. and it's because you mentioned uh, mushrooms. Are you dealing with mycelium at all at uh, that end of mushrooms? 
Oh, you mean like the fruiting bodies? No, the mycelium the, the, before, that produces the fruiting bodies. Well, yes, that is what that is what deconstructs wood. So if you were to inoculate your Hugo culture beds with something even as simple as uh, oyster mushrooms, you don't need to go anything fancy. Um, that will vastly well, speed I up. Well, I don't have any exposed. I don't have any exposed wood. You see how I build Hugo beds. There's no exposed wood. So like, there's nowhere for like, they're not going to really, uh, oysters grow out of like wood and yeah. I don't have any exposed wood in my Hugo beds because then it's like burns. It can catch fire. So no, yeah. I hear other types of mushrooms though, do grow out of my, uh, wood chips and stuff, but and um, I haven't got the. Uh, I don't think well, there you go. oyster then, mushrooms grow out of wood chips. Then harvest. Then ha harvest the trumpets. Harvest the spores from I've the ones that are growing that out, and make and grow that mycelium yeah. out and inoculate it to increase the more the more uh, mycelium you can get in that wood pile. The faster the wood is going to be converted yeah. into soil, and those fungi oh, attract yeah. other fungal colonies, so it's a win-win when you get ready to use it as a soil. You have uber levels of fungal colonies in diversity and mass, and for not yeah. much money, for yeah. like chump change. Just harvest the mushrooms that are growing yeah, I mean, out. For, and, for and me. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're, we're lucky up here just cause you know, we have, I mean, I have like my excavator. So for doing any like tractor work like that, it's, it's easy for me to, you know, build stuff out like that and kind of inoculated. Like I built this, uh, I built a hundred foot long Hugel bed. It took, I put, um, a hundred yards, a mm -hmm. hundred yards of dead wood, rotten stumps in a hundred feet of Hugel bed. It was a big fucking Hugel bed. Okay. It was right. big. I put a hundred yards of, of dead wood and like debris and leaves and on top of like 20 trees, literally 20 live trees. No, it was kind of a massive Hugel bed. And, uh, and then I put all these wood chips on it. Oh yeah. It's like seriously fungal dominant as fuck. <laughs> It's kind of ridiculous, you know, if you go out there and like, I wanted to go out there with the tractor and dig into it after it's been there for like a bunch of years, you know, I wanted to just kind of, you know, see how much it like, you know, ate away at like certain layers of things that I built. Um, but sure. yeah, no, I've been doing that for, you know, yeah. That, you know, that's like my main source is that those, you know, actual mycelium, you know, and that's what I'm feeding that's my base for the worms. You know what I mean? It's like actual, like white mycelial, you know, like, like, like leaf mold, like the most beautiful leaf mold soil. It's like mostly mycelium with soil hanging from it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I do. Like that kind yeah. of texture that that's, that's what I'm using for my base for the worms. And then I'll add the biochar to that. Holy shit. Is that stuff gorgeous? I mean, you want to eat it. It's like edible. 
It's a lot cheaper than a gallon of uh, dinosaur I mean, urine. So. Yeah. Dinosaur yeah. urine, totally. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, no, it's it's really more humane stuff, too. You, you know, don't have to squeeze really the dinosaurs. Cool yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know that. So yeah. they get the the emu yeah, they, one. They get the emus and they put them in the rosin press and then they squeeze the oil out of them. Is that like rosin up the bow? No, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, cool. uh, uh, just like you described neem meal and and uh, neem oil, very much the same products. The the the, the rosin for your bow is the like the neem meal. After you squeeze the emus, okay. that's exactly what it is. Well, I'm, you know, I'm in full heavy metal lookout mode now. I, I look at it under each rock or, you know, I'm, I'm throwing caution to the wind, as it, it seems. But the so, problem uh, is that you, we have a lot of organic growers that are not quite understanding <laughs> how to balance organic soil mixes and they're failing for heavy metal testing and... Yeah. You know. But anyway, back to uh, oh really? Are 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 a, bu are a bunch of people failing for heavy metals and shit? And oh, it's a it's a battle. Oh really? Cry. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We used to have yeah. CalMag. Uh, what was it? Uh, CalMag lockout. But now we just got CalMag. So uh, you know, and pretty soon we'll just have CM. We won't you know won't even be CalMag. It'll just be CM you know, code words. So those are always fun. Um, right. Hard the mentally handicapped yeah, fun to listen yeah. to. You know? So, yeah, check out the mycelium as a, yeah. as a material in, in Hugo culture, and it will amaze you how many years you can whack off the process to convert those masses, a mass amount of wood into soil. And enriching as you go along, it's a, it's a, definitely a win-win and for nothing. I mean, get some wine cap spawn. They grow like, you know, two feet long and they're edible. So you get, create food and you're oh, yeah. busting up the, uh, the wood and, and what have you in the soil. It's, uh, sometimes they, the lay person's name for them is soil busters. But yeah, wine cap is more the uh, oh what the, yeah the wine caps yeah yeah I, I've I've worked with those before yeah after I oh cool this bed, I didn't I didn't have any when I but yeah um, there's oh. native mushrooms popping out of it but I don't know what they are they're just kind of like random like wood chip kind of mushrooms you know what I mean shit that pops out of wood chips but you know I haven't I haven't put anything edible in there I've got this block of fruiting. Uh, grain spore right now literally it's this big there's mushrooms popping out of it i it kind of somebody gave it to me uh i just haven't got perfect to it, but perfect. i was gonna try to knock yeah i know i i know it's trumpet just bust it up literally bust it up and, and put it yeah it's pretty cool everywhere in your soil in your yeah. compost piles and you be a little bit careful on the worm because it can heat up that would be my only concern. Like only put a thin layer. Don't mix it into the substrate. Just right, right. A thin layer on top. But they like your yeah. uh, compost piles. Hit it hard and heavy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, Is that yeah, what you're har harvesting? Yeah, those. 
Yeah, those wow. are no, those are wildcrafted matsutakis. Okay. That is such that is such a beautiful bucket of matsutakis. Right Absolutely. There. Wow. Oh my god, that was that that's is, real food, man. That Jeez. just brings yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to yeah, that's my that's one of my my main food sources that yeah I go wow. to a super high highly you know nutrient dense that's what venison and those mushrooms are kind of like my you know yeah it's like my fuel i feel like you know so i really i wait till like i wait all year until these mushrooms pop it's like a big thing it's like my it's like a big deal to me actually have you made extracts um, from really like um you know i have i've done I'm literally fermenting salt, matsutake salt right now. I'm fermenting salt right now. Matsutake. No, no, no. I have a bunch of no. matsutake. Oh, yeah. I've been doing no, no, all I'm, kinds of I'm talking about interesting. You want to do it? No, I'm talking about doing a duo alcohol and then water. Because uh, they both uh, no, remove no, different beta-glucans. You sure? Oh, yeah, I mean, I guess I could. I've never thought of doing that. Yes. You know what I do is I preserve, yeah, I preserve them in oil. Uh, here's a website for you if you want to learn more about uh, the North American Mycological wow. Association, NAMA. And yeah. they have uh, magazine yeah. articles, archives going back to the 1930s. And it's a lot of hobbyists, but you can really get solid information because there's true mycologists that uh, participate and you get questions answered and uh, different uses for these mushrooms uh, from a different perspective than like say yeah. shroomery.com or something, you know, just anyway, it's a great organization to support and they have a, a bi-monthly publication. Oh, right on. Yeah. North American Mycological Association. Oh, so. nice. Those are gorgeous. I mean, wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, they're they're absolutely, yeah. and they're one of they're one of the few mushrooms that you can eat raw. They taste absolutely delicious raw, absolutely mm -hmm. incredible. You can eat them right right like that. Um, and there's not many wild mushrooms you can eat raw like that. Right. Um, another thing is that they're they're like the third most valuable mushroom in the world. Technically, they're very valuable. They're very rare. Um, I mean, they do exist, but they're you know they're pretty rare. And, and highly desirable. So um, I've yeah. never thought about making a tincture with them. They do have a lot of, you know, special properties, but yes. we preserve them in, uh, in oil, actually. So mm -hmm. we actually cook them in, we cook them in vinegar. We brine them in vinegar and herbs. Mm -hmm. And then I dry them and pack them in oil and preserve them in oil. And they'll stay like that for like five years and right. they're fresh. They stay like fresh. Like it's pretty amazing because you kind of preserve them in their natural state. I'm trying to preserve them as close as I can to their natural state. I have a bunch dried. I've got them dried. I've got them in the freezer. Wow. I've got them cured in oil, but yeah, I'll look into making a, a tincture. I never really thought of making a tincture of them because it's like, um, but they are highly medicinal, honestly. So oh, they all are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There we are at the cup. Was... 
It would be hard yeah, to come actually, up with a mushroom oh, yeah, you know that wasn't about? medicinal, you know. Even the lowly oyster mushroom is medicinal, oh, yeah, so. It's yeah. the meme guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, look there. Oh, yeah, right there. Super high in antioxidants, anti-fat, anti-tumor. Um, yeah. yeah, I have this whole list of uh, stuff here. Yeah, they're pretty incredible, actually. Yeah, they have huge. It probably would be a really good idea to make a tincture out of them. I honestly never thought about it. Um, you know what I do is I salt them, and I'll put them mm -hmm. on a tray, and I'll salt the mushrooms, cover them in salt, and then I'll let all the water run off. And then I'll let it evaporate. And the salt that's left behind, that's left behind once the water evaporates is like infused with the Matsutakis. Right. Um, so I'm basically infusing salt with uh, the mushrooms. And uh, I'm really right. obsessed with Matsutake salt, honestly. I'm even, I'm even fermenting salt right now for like, you know, I'll probably use it even in like, you know, spray it on plants, honestly. I'm pretty much like fermenting. Yeah. Matsutakis and salt as a, a spray for plants. All I don't know what I really call that. You know, I don't. Here's I don't the last little called. bit of science. Hold on, real quick before you the next thing. We had a, some people ask about picking matsutakis. Um, do you want to touch real quick, maybe just uh, on on how to find matsutakis? They are a harder mushroom than most to find. Usually, they're partially buried or emerging from the soil. They're not normally burst through. So they are not the easiest mushroom, especially if you're not a, an experienced uh, mushroom hunter. Do you want to touch a little bit on, on just the, the, the forest crafting portion of that? Sure, yeah. I mean, the Matsutakis, for, it's all about the, uh, um, what do you call it? I can't remember the fancy word right now. Anyway, but it's all about the elevation and the environment. You know, so the elevation is key. You have to just kind of, which it's almost like you have to just find that the right, the elevation is really relative to like the atmospheric pressure in a sense that exists in like your area. And so they're, they really, do the, the, you know, it, they're that specific of a mushroom, you know what I mean? Where it's like, even when I'm mushroom hunting them myself and I'm going like up the hill and they're telling, I could hear the mushrooms telling me, they're like, you're going the wrong way, bro. Like, we're not up there. They're at a very specific band. You know what I mean? You, okay, it's kind of like, imagine this. You know when you see a wood pile, uh, I mean, a pile of wood chips, right? And you know how you have a vein of mycelium running through that pile of wood chips? But it's like, you know how, like, above it, it's just like, uh, maybe nothing's going on. Below it, there'll be some, like, black, funky, like, weird shit going on. But right in the middle of it, there's this beautiful vein of mycelium running through this pile. Picture the mountain is, like, the same way. The mountains are the same way. The mycelium runs through the mountains in, like, a vein. You know what I'm saying? So then, you know, once you find the vein, which is relative to your atmospheric pressure or elevation and those variables, you know, then if you stay on that vein, you know, they pop in at, at that level, you know, well, so me, you have to kind of find the elevation that they like and then, have, and then you have to find the habitat, which is like tan oak 
or depending on what part of the country you're in, it could be pine trees as well. So me, uh, depending on where you it. are in the country. Yeah, go on. Let me fill you in on a little secret here. So the cheat sheet on this is that they all cue in on a specific soil temperature for fruiting. So if you take a digital meat thermometer, once you find the vein that's fruiting, just like you were saying, you can chase it up the mountain uh, based on testing. And each mountain, and it'll be even be different from mountain to mountain. But once you know your local area, you'll be able to cue this in. I used to use this to, to find black and yellow morel mushrooms. Uh, and because they're hypercute and similarly to matsutakis and then we applied this to both porcinis and matsutakis in colorado um so that that that's kind of the cheat sheet so you can once you know your local area or that local area after a couple of years you can totally cue in on whether or not it, you're you're early or late on the on that fruiting round and then go up or down the mountain based on that oh it, so you're saying you're measuring the soil temperature Correct. So we'll take this meat thermometer and stick it two or three is inches that what, in the is soil. That yep. We'll take the meat thermometer, stick it two or three inches in the soil. For instance, in Colorado, most of the morels spike between 46 and 48 degrees Fahrenheit um, in the soil temperature, about two to three inches down. As soon as the temperature gets above that, they fruit, right? So, and if it gets much above 50 degrees, they stop fruiting. So each of the mushroom species that's subterranean is very much cued in on that. So they have to have a minimal moisture amount. So you have to have the rain, uh, the minimal amount of rain uh, to produce that amount of moisture and then the right temperature. If you have those two things, they fruit uh, nine times out of 10. And uh, this is how I was able to be a, a very successful yes. commercial mushroom hunter. Oh, okay. So, you know, oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. cool. I didn't, I, I've never honestly heard this. I just, I just literally, I, I do this like manually, you know what I mean? That as a mushroom hunter, you know, you just kind of like, you just like listen to the mushrooms and you know what I mean? Well, make just, I just tune into them. I can like hear. Make a spreadsheet on your phone. And then make a spreadsheet. The and write down eat the temperature when every mushroom that you find and you'll map them out pretty quickly in your local area. And then you, what, what's nice is you can go out into the field, stick the thermometer in the ground and find out if you're wasting your time, if you're early or late or, or if you're right on time. And then you can move on to an area that might be better worth your time. Wow, yeah. So you can cover more. You know, that's fruit. interesting. I have like a couple of, I, yeah, that's really interesting. I have a couple of spots that are my test spots that I go to test to, you know, to go check. And if it's popping in those spots, then that means it's on. You know, right. I literally have pictures from, of, for 15, over 15 years of a mushroom popping in the same exact like square inch every single year for 15 plus years. I take a picture of like mushrooms popping out of like the same exact spot for 15 years. So I've been too bad. I didn't know that I would have had a bunch of data, but you know, I'm just kind of like a human. Uh, I just, you know what I mean? I'm like, I just I like hunt them out. I just been going old school. You know? Experience. That'd be good. nice to know. I, I, to like, I would like to test that. Yeah. What, what was nice is my buddy and I could cover like a fuck ton of ground. And so if we were too, too hot or too cold, we could just drive on to the next, you know, altitude in the mountains and keep going. Right. And be able to cover just, just be more productive. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If you're trying to be more productive, because sometimes I am and I'm like, I don't like to, you know, cause you have to like hike up somewhere. You don't know if you're fucking around. You got to go up there. 
test the soil. I could really see that being a valuable asset. Go up there, pop up the hill, test the soil. Oh, nope, wrong. Just bounce because you know you're like not going to find anything. Um, but yeah, they're very hard to find. I've got just like the sixth sense to find them. And my spots are just like, I'm really tuned into them. So the second they're like, they're thinking of popping, I'm like, any, oh, and then I just bounce. Well, all of a sudden I'll just disappear because it's just time. And okay, I'll tell this story since we're talking mushrooms. I did, that's where I saw Sasquatch. I'm just going to say, you know, and you know, a lot of people have been very disturbing stories from what I can tell. Yeah, now, well, now it's come full circle. So it's, it's okay. Um, I was mushroom hunting and, and that bucket of mushrooms that I showed you that was on my Instagram there, that's from my spot where I saw where I should say where, where Sasquatch showed me, not like I saw Sasquatch. It's more like Sasquatch, let me see, you know, him. Um, but you know, that being said, it was, it was kind of like nuts and it's really like, you know, you know, when you really see something nuts because you're in denial for like, you know, 10 years, when you're in denial of something, what you saw for 10 years, that's how you know it's real. Like you really actually, you know what I mean? When your brain just won't accept like what, what you, whatever it was, you know, and I've only had three instances in my life and, you know, I'm not going to talk about them all, but, you know, I've only had three times in my life where, you know, something happened and you're just in denial for like five, seven, five plus years until you just like, you know, that's how crazy it is when you see something like that, I feel, you know, because it expands your mind. That's why I said natural farming and Sasquatch have really opened my mind to the possibilities of, uh, you know, what's going on in the world. There's a lot more than we realize, you know, there's a lot of things going on that we just don't even realize are going on. And, you know, as we, you know, tune into ourselves, we, we tune into all that stuff, you know, the more we tune in, the, the more, the more it shows itself to us. And the more we, we trust, right. It comes down to trust. Cause honestly, I feel like Sasquatch, the only reason Sasquatch even, you know, showed himself to me was because he, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like not looking for him and, and I'm kind of really, I don't know. It sounds like a bunch of hippie bullshit, but you know, I saw like the invisible version of like, it was kind of like seeing what Sasquatch showed me was, you know, and I know a lot of people don't understand this. There's a lot of controversy, but if you, if you, there's a lot of strange occurrences and sightings and, you know, the, what I saw was a, a, like a water being, like literally a water being who disappeared into not a tree, but right next to a tree, like where, where space met a tree. Like if this was like a tree and then there's like, like, you know, right there, that like that, that right there, that's where it disappeared in before, like literally ran into that, into a doorway and into a tree. It made it, it made it look like it disappeared into a tree. It was kind of like, you know, and it, you know, and it showed me that because I feel like it was like, all right, you think you're cool, Zelik? It was like, you think you're fucking cool, bro? Well, can you do this? When you're really cool, you can disappear into trees, bro. <laughs> you know, that's what I got from it. I was beyond humbled and it, it was really, 
you know, I didn't go look for tracks or, you know, I, it, the, you only need to do that if you don't believe, you know, I don't even want to, I, I mean, when you see something like that, you're, you're, I just kept mushroom hunting and was like, you know, it's kind of, uh, it was, it was, it's like, you know, what do you say to that? You know, you know, it's pretty messed. It's, it's intense. You know, it was pretty intense. You know, I saw this like seven foot four and, and that's the thing when I was trying to put it in a box, when I saw, cause I've hunted my whole life. I've shot lots of deer. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm looking at. I've shot deer running. I've shot, I've never missed, hardly ever missed a deer in my life. I'm traditional bow hunter. I know what I'm doing. I'm a traditional bow hunter. I've shot deer with long bows, recurves. You know what I mean? Every kind of gun, bow, you name it. Um, I've shot a lot of things. I know what I'm looking at. And what I saw was not a bear. It wasn't a thing. It was a water being seven feet tall running through it lightning, like running beyond quicker than my, almost quicker than my eye. Cause I could barely track it. It was like, it was like, it was so quick. It was so big and it was clear. And it's like, yeah, Zella, you were smoking weed, but you know what? I, when I smoke weed, I don't see anything like that. I fucking smoke weed all day. I don't see shit running through the woods. I don't see shit. I wish I had, my weed was that strong. Tell me about it. I wish my weed was that strong. I do, but it ain't. Nobody's weed's that strong. You know, it don't matter. That's why I say more than uh, when you see shit like that, it's, it's, it's like, it's next level shit. That's because that's the type of, re- you know, there's other realities. Yeah. What's up? I'm going to say when I was staying up on the Klamath River, there's other- I heard some stuff in the nighttime, oh, yeah. like calls, like screams, like that were not mountain lion. They weren't bobcat. I've heard both of those camping in Colorado. I know what those are. I know what a bear sounds like. And it wasn't anything that I've ever heard at night before. It was a completely different sound. And what it was, I do not know. But I will tell you, it wasn't any of those things I just mentioned. Because I've heard all of those in Colorado and, you know, knew what they were. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I hear that. Yeah, with my thing, I think I surprised it, honestly, because it was in stealth mode. And I'm just very sensitive. Honestly, I'm like a plant whisperer. So I'm very sensitive, right? I live in the woods myself. So I was very, and I think I busted it. It was surprised that I saw it and I caught it like hiding from me. And when I turned on it to look at it, it took off running, which, and then I watched it running, but it was like, you know, clear. And I was like watching this outline. It was like, that's why I say it was like a water being. It was like watching this clear water being. And then I was trying to put it in a box and was like, well, it's really fucking tall. Like, what is that tall and clear? You know, cause your brain is like, you know, like doing backflips, trying to figure out what the fuck you're looking at. And so I'm like, what's that tall and clear. And, and, and when I said that it told me it was seven foot four. It was like, it was literally like seven foot, four inches. It was big, but it was like this clear outline thing. It was, I'm telling you, it was like water. It was basically like a water being, but like Sasquatch mode, like stealth mode. I don't know. I've heard other stories like this. I'm not the only fucking nut. And I could see why nobody would ever tell this story because anybody would think you're fucking crazy. And then they're going to, you know, degrade you and say, 
oh, you're fucking stoned or this or that, or, you know, and it can, you know, affect your, uh, affect your, uh, you know, you know, what people think about you. Right. You know, but, but whatever it is, what it is, you know, believe it or don't <laughs> believe, believe or don't, you know, it's like, it's all good, but yeah, it was pretty awesome. It's taken me a while to just, all right, I'll be honest. I've been listening to, uh, y'all check this out. I've been listening to, uh, Sasquatch Chronicles, a podcast is some like really amazing stories on there. I don't know if you all ever heard that, but I just dropped, I just dropped that shit on y'all. So go check it out. Those guys are cool. They've got some cool stories, honestly, especially in Oklahoma, bro. Oklahoma's lit up with some activity, yo. Yep. Texas. Anyway, but moving on, you know, it's, it, 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 it's, it's cool. I've never shared that story too much, you know, because it's kind of a sacred story. And I wasn't sure that it was, it was, you know, okay to share it, but I think it's okay to share it. If, if the lesson, you know, and respect of, of, you know, Sasquatch and that type of beings, you know, as long as we respect them, I think they do have, you know, obviously a lot to to teach us because I mean, think about it. They definitely exist. Um, you know, yeah, there's, you know, but nobody can prove it because they're so, they're on another level, you know, they're on their own They're you know, they're the king of, uh, of like hiding out apparently. Right. It's, they're the king of, uh, of social distance at this point. <laughs> they're my idol. That's who I'm looking up to for social distancing, like Sasquatch style. You know what I'm saying? Just being like that level of mentality, being invisible, but being that real. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some real, real hippie talk there. No, no, it's super cool. I, I'm, I'm, it's neat to hear that uh, experience that you went through. Um, what advice do you have for people? That just but yeah, I did. I did. I, that did happen in my mushroom spot, which is the cool thing. So those mushrooms came from that spot. So it's, it is really a special spot. And there's like fairy rings there, too. It gets fairy rings of Matsutakis. It's pretty amazing. Honestly, I got some pictures of it. Anyway, well, yeah. If we're talking about special forests, there's an area where it's in the uh, Rainbow Lakes area. <clears throat> off peak to peak highway in Colorado. Um, but there's a special area of super ancient uh, Aspen forest. And it's always been kind of a special place. I never saw uh, a Sasquatch there or anything. So I, I can't claim that part. But I will say that um, they have Aspen trees so large, three people holding hands together can't get around them. Mm. There's no other place I've ever been that has Aspen trees as large oh, wow. as a particular grove. Yeah. There, there's something special about the grove of Aspens there that are just I don't know, more ancient or just larger or some other you know something special about it uh microbiologically and it's my favorite place in the whole forest of all of colorado to go to it's in the area that was originally preserved as part of the um uh, rocky mountain national park uh, but it's mm. it's not actually part of it it's actually in roosevelt national forest now um, but it's the original portion of the park that's that's no longer part of the official federal park um, but uh, it's in uh, Rainbow Lakes, but there's a, a grove of aspens there that are just absolutely gargantuan compared to, and, and I've been all across the West, Washington, Oregon, California. Yeah, Colorado, that's huge, bro. That's and, and gargantuan. Never seen for, um, close to that large. Aspen. 
Yep. Except for that one grove. Yeah, that's huge. Which tree is it that they never find chaga? Never... Birch. Birch, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It, it combines. Is it only on birch? Has, well, the most, well, it's not only on birch, but the most medicinal one is on birch because it takes right. some of the compounds from the birch and converts right. them. Yeah. I'm drinking chaga tea right here. That's my, this is my chaga tea. Super good for you. I got chaga tea right here. Chaga tea keeps the cancer away. That's for sure. Yeah, I drink, uh, yo, dude, I drink chaga and butter. That's like my power drink. It's like chaga with like, with like hmm. a lot of butter in it. I might, I, I don't eat a lot. So I like, I get my calories in like butter and chaga I make like these chaga butter, like thick drinks. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. Nice. Yeah, I like to. I like to use these. Yeah, my, it's from uh, New Hampshire. I got some chaga from New Hampshire. Wow. Yeah. Any other composting tips that you have? Uh, I know yeah. you're also kind of an expert in that field. I don't know. I wouldn't call myself an expert in composting, you know, cause, but I mean, you know, um, I'm just limited by like my space, you know, honestly, as, as you know, not to like point out my limitations, but so it's, it's kind of helped. It's kind of made me, you know, be more creative. You know what I'm saying? Um, cause I don't have like a ton of space or, or like manures, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, once again, I'm literally, you know, back to like my, my six jars, you know what I mean? My five or six jars. I'm not running a lot of, a uh, lot of different uh, materials into my compost. You know, I kind of have my like six jars of my base materials, you know, my, you know, and then I'll just um, add any plant material as much plant material, you know, fresh green, uh, you know, nitrogen, mm -hmm plant material, whether it's, um, you know what I was, oh yeah, you know what I've been doing is um, harvesting the, um, uh, what is it, that that invasive plant that with the yellow flowers that we grows all over here that, um, but it fixes nitrogen. It's basically this, uh, a broom type of plant. I forget what it's actually called Honey right circle? now. Uh, Honeysuckle? My brain. No, it's not a honeysuckle. It's like, uh, it's kind it's, it's actually uh poisonous too. It has like, uh, garlic mustard. It's not good for animals and food. It's a what? Garlic mustard. Maybe. The West sounds Coast. like, no, sounds no, it's like, more of a, like a bush. Yeah. It sounds like mustard. The, I, like it covers thousands. No, of acres. it's not a mustard. No, yeah, no. No, it's not a mustard, honestly. It's uh, mm. it's more of a, uh, a bushy, you know, invasive mustard. Is I'd be fine if it was mustard. <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, anyway, I forget what it is right now. I'm California's uh, agricultural department did a whole thing on garlic mustard killing local mycorrhizae mm. and and eliminating local competition by killing mycorrhizae through exudates. Mm -hmm. You talking? Yeah, about interesting because I I. I've seen people use mustard. Yeah, I see people use mustard, but I I don't really use mustard and um, because I've read that too. 
So I just kind of stay away from the mustard. But that's not what it is. It's uh, it's like a broom type of. It's a uh, Scotch broom. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue. Sorry, I can't think of it. But anyway, it does fix nitrogen, even though it's like not even edible. Like mustard is edible for animals, whereas this other plant is not edible. It's actually, you know, dangerous to animals and like even the. I was even nervous having it like around the dog. I didn't want him to chew on it, so. But I just uh, chipped it up. I just put it through a chipper shredder. It had tons of, I have pictures of it. Um, it had tons of nitrogen on the roots. So I pull it up. So yeah, one of my composting tips, I guess I'll pull up this invasive plant, big bush. Basically they they get like six, eight feet tall. They're, you know, and they're, they're really rooted in there. Um, so I'll wait till it rains a whole bunch. We'll have a big old rain at the kind of later in the winter in the spring when the when the last rains are there after it's been raining all winter a really good rain and you can pull the whole root out of the ground because they're invasive and you want to get rid of them so you just the cutting them doesn't work i can't remember what the plan is know, my brain is not working but um and i'll pull them out of the ground and they'll just be covered in nitrogen be fixing nitrogen and um yeah, I'll just uh, put them through like a chipper shredder, like the shredder end of a chipper shredder and shred that up and, uh, you know, use that. That's a good source of material. And, um, you know, just for like, um, what's that? What, what do you what do you call that type of material? That soft, brushy material. I can't think of that word either right now. Overcore. Anyway, just like that. That do what? Cocoa core or moss? Or... No, yeah, just like just a, a word to describe like uh, brushy, softer, brushy, not as woody material, you know, like uh, bushes and brush and berries and, you know, soft, soft, barky material that, you know, you know, just smaller material that just chips up really well and, and, and bacteria you know, just love it, you know, bacteria and fungus, just eat it up real easy. Um, you know, different than wood chips, you know, different than chips of wood, you know, cause it's more softer. It's, it's a lot softer. It's got more, um, growing tips on it. You know, it's more shoots and, and leaves and, you know, it's like soft bark opposed to like a hard wood chip, you know? So, you know, I'll this use that, here. a lot of that material. This is the uh, white paper I was referring to. Uh, it was published in 2019 uh, on the impact of garlic mustard on local mycorrhizae fungi and how that affects their ability to uh, be invasive. So it basically kills the local mycorrhizae fungi so it can take over. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I've heard that, but I didn't, I haven't seen this paper, but I've, I've read enough about it that I was like, yeah, I'm good with garlic, with the mustard. <laughs> yeah, that's why we generally just Yeah, mustard's like a little... We discourage people from planting brassicas in general I see. Uh, as a companion plant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In general, yeah, maybe like on the edges a little bit, but even then, I hear you. Just give them their own bed. It's fine. They can totally be in the garden, just not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, just get them out of there. Like, why bother? There's no, plenty totally. of other plants we can plant. Yeah, that's cool. Benefit them. 
There are so many other plants. It's, it's, it's incredible how many plants you, there are. What do you like for companion plants? That's a great question. Um, kind of anything that will that will like grow out here that that will like tolerate our environment, um, which is like I, I do a lot of um, um, a lot of food, honestly, for companion planting. I just do a lot of food because it's like, why not? Right. Like it's a perfect place to grow potatoes and I'll be growing like um, South African ground cherries and squash and you know, um, uh, oh man, there's a whole bunch of other plants. Let's see, I'm trying to uh, remember um, uh, that really green, low-growing, succulent, edible um, uh, portulaca, you know, portulaca, I've been growing a lot of that as a cover crop, uh, low-growing, just, plus it makes a great um, JLF, you know, um, portulaca, you can eat it. It's really high in omega threes. And then I make a JLF out of it. It's kind of like a great, great plant overall to have around. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of been, uh, um, got yet some yarrow, a bunch of yarrow and comfrey and, you know, other accumulators, um, nettles and, just like the whole gauntlet, some gar bunch of garlic. Um, yeah, clover, white clover. Let's see, you know, pretty solid, pretty solid little crew, you know, they get the job done. Kind of feeds, feeds me, feeds the soil, feeds the plants, keeps us all happy, works out pretty good. Plus, I like the potatoes in there. Potatoes are just crucial, you know. I'm always needing more potatoes, making JMS, honestly. And, you know, potatoes are just good stuff. But, yeah, yeah, I've been growing okra. Just kind of anything invasive. I really like invasive plants, honestly. I like invasive stuff. It's a little challenging because the deer eat everything here. It's very, uh, you know, there's a lot of deer. So it's challenging to keep anything alive, you know, from the deer eating it. But as long as it's like in the greenhouses um, or, or fenced in, you know, I've got, you know, we, we grow a lot of stuff. Yeah. Pumpkins. I got pumpkins growing in with my weed and squash and, and cucumbers just kind of on the edges, not a lot of cucumbers, but yeah, just kind of like integrating my garden and my veggies into the same area, really. I don't have a lot of space, so I can't afford to waste space. So I just, I just grow everything I want to eat for myself in the same area, you know? And, uh, cause I don't, you know, I just don't have the luxury of, you know, separating it, which is not really a luxury because it, the plants do better if they're, you know, growing together. So, um, yeah, it works out pretty good. Awesome. Nothing too uh, fancy, but it works, it works well. You Plus it feeds us. us. Do you want to? I think we're going to wrap up the show here shortly. Do you? Uh, do you want to tell everybody how to uh, how to find you and and learn more from you in the future? All right, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess basically you can find me at Spring Creek Farm on Instagram, 
I'm kind of working on trying to build out my website better and, you know, just kind of working on all that stuff. So we've got our website, Spring Creek Farm. Um, yeah, and our, our, our uh, yeah, that's basically it. You know, anybody can, uh, I guess, just, uh, oh, yeah, our YouTube. Yep, yep. Thank you for reminding me. Plus, we got our YouTube. Yeah, trying to work on that a little bit be kind of laying low for a minute here just because it's been real busy with this harvest season i'm just kind of coming back coming up for air but yeah look at that we got our youtube going i'm trying to drop some more content oh yeah and on gw smoke break you can also hear us yeah i'll drop danny on gw smoke break he's been you know a solid partner for us you know throwing down some content y'all seen that Oh yeah, and plus at the Regen conference um, coming up here, um, I guess I'll be like speaking Sunday morning. So you know that's really a cool thing too, which I I suggest y'all check out the Regen conference because you know it's been a um, uh, a big part in in educating everyone. Um, you know, and there's just an amazing crew of people going there. And we all get to like hang out, discuss all these awesome techniques and really just uh, collaborate on the best technology, you know, the best methodology and just share great vibes. And uh, yeah, you know, just have a good time. Share, share the love, share the weed. Yeah, so yeah, I'm kind of around a little bit, trying to get around, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I'll be speaking at the Regen Conference as well. I've spoken at most of the conferences so far, so it'll be a good time. Fumi will be there as well. We'll be, Fumi and I will be there doing the filming of, of the whole event. We'll have a second side stage. We'll be doing a ton of cool side interviews and a whole bunch of cool additional content uh, in addition to what has been done in past years. And I think you guys are really going to like it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, cool. Cool. Yo, that's awesome, bro. Good job. Good job. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's just really, that's what's up. Yeah, it's been a big, uh, it's taught me a lot going to that. I've kind of, it just helps you really refine, you know, what you're doing. Just keeps, keeps, we all, we're all just on the, on the path, right? It's cool. Not only that, it should be I, like a really good year, I'm guessing. Huh? I feel like every year you kind of slowly get burned out and that event kind of like refills your batteries and refills like your energy and passion for, you know, everything again with the plant. Oh yeah. Especially these past, you know, these past couple of three years, you know, have been real, uh, real rough on everyone. So our, everyone's cup is pretty empty. You know, um, my cup was pretty empty this year going to the Emerald cup you know, the harvest ball, obviously that was amazing and filled my cup, you know, back up, but always going up to Humboldt is like a super special, super special. You know, I, I live in Sonoma, but I kind of belong in Humboldt. Honestly, I'll just say that. Cause I mean, look at me, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, Sonoma's getting a little, you know, clean, shall we say getting kind of clean over here. But, you know, Humboldt's still, like, dirty. But anyway, yeah, I love going up to Humboldt. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to go up there. It'd be good to see you in person up there. Smoke some weed. 
Hang you, out. You want to tell us about your site? That's my website. I built it. Uh, they say there are many websites on the internet. This one is mine. Uh, go take a look, ladies and gentlemen. Take a look at uh, genetic preservation kits, I think they call them. Uh, you can take a look. Uh, Capone is clicking on the story there. I should probably edit that, honestly. It's probably a little bit long in the freaking tooth there, but uh, a little bit of a story about how I got to uh, breeding. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it, it ain't easy being green, as Kermit the Frog used to say. Uh, take a look, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, it's always funny. Smash is right, though. When other people basically scroll it's like a, always a, a strange and uh, unusual tempo ladies and gentlemen that's my uh, instagram right there take a look uh, don't wear it out uh, it's very hard to wear out the instagram uh, but uh, i'd be honored if you followed uh, lately i've been uh, posting a lot of uh, uh, my customers and testers and so on posting their flowers so uh, we get to see a lot of uh, a420 bin from the frozen north there uh, who else there richard uh, from uh, uh, avalon i think they call it uh, where uh, king Arthur was born, uh, all kinds of, uh, uh, basically, it's fun to actually see my strains just kind of, uh, uh, laid out there, isn't it? Uh, kind of an odd thing. Uh, pictures from the, the grotto. They had this beautiful, uh, Christmas, uh, uh, event here. Anyway, uh, take a look, ladies and gentlemen, as I say on my website, take a look at the pretty pictures over on my, uh, Instagram, Fumador underscore Chibador. Cheers. Got some ball and ass seeds over there. The Fumador. Nice. They check right. that out. beans. Uh, all right and you can find me at um at apmjclass.com uh if you guys want to take a long format aquaponic cannabis class we have uh over a week of content now and uh, adding more all the time and um yeah you can use uh coupon code fumi if you want to save a couple bucks and uh, support fumi as well and uh what else do we have on here um Oh, right. Hold on one second, guys. Sorry. Uh, also, uh, oh, I have to reshare. Hold on. Sorry, guys. Uh, there we go. Now you can see what I'm trying to show you. Um, I will also be doing the Grillcast uh, Oklahoma City Meetup on Friday, January 21st at Guyatt's Restaurant. Looks like the weather is going to be pretty good. It's going to be nice and warm. We'll be hanging out, smoking, having beers. They got food. They got gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian. Whatever your hip, hippie check boxes are, they got you. Uh, they got really good beer, all kinds of booze. Uh, so be a good time. Uh, come hang out, have a good time. And uh, myself, Brennan Russ, and Jordan River of Growcast will all be there to answer your grow questions. It'll be a lot of fun. And then uh, me and Fumi are cooking up all kinds of cool stuff for the Reject Conference. We'll have more information on that soon. Uh, as we get things more refined, but uh, we're going to have a really, really cool trip uh, down and back. And uh, and a ton of cool filming for you guys to uh i kind of you know try to feel like you're there even if you aren't later on uh, after the fact i think you guys are really gonna like what we're gonna we'll be putting together so i'm really excited I'm digging it let's do it all right guys um you can find us on the growing with fishes podcast and pot look at that bowl that is that that's a freaking that's a steampunk bowl right there holy shit hold on yeah, it's like a go. bowl that zeus or somebody would smoke steampunk zeus it's like a sprinkler it is literally a sprinkler bowl that is a steampunk bowl if i ever saw wow it's like a tri-clamp bowl it's the uh, steamroller it is it's a uh it is a tri no it's not a tri-clamp it's a, a u it's a eyeline hmm. eyeline fitting pre pre tri-clamp pre tri-clamp eyeline it's actually male female 
connection in okay. there. It's actually like a male female, not a face to face, regardless. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I call it the industrial. It's the industrial steamroller. That's it's the industrial steamroller. That's what I call it. It started out as a joke, but as many things that start out as jokes, they're actually a good idea. It's actually my hash pipe. It just works. It started as a joke. I don't know. It is what it, you know, it, it's, it doesn't break. That's one of the things, you know, it, it it's never broken. Um, you drop it every time you want. It's not gonna Someone break it. breaks in while you're smoking, you can hit him in the head with it. Throw it at him. Yeah, you can just it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's, you know, plus it opens a beer bottle right there perfectly. That, 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 boom, pop. It's perfect. You can build a house with it in, like a, a, in, a, in a pinch. It's like a prototype. It's like a prototype on steroids or something. So, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you've seen those, but. Yes. You know, it was just a joke, but it actually hit really good. We're like, fuck, that hits really good, actually. <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I mostly use I mostly use it for hash. You know, honestly, you can see got the hash on there. Right. Ian is saying that it looks like it could time travel. <laughs> Have you ever asked it? You know, that's time traveling. You know, you're that's funny. You say that. That's funny. You say that some a a few people have said that. And, you know, it basically is a time traveling piece because like when you smoke hash out of it and you get fucking ripped, you know, you're time traveling. So, you know, you that's what that that says to me, like you, you need to smoke some hash out of this, bro. Right. You need to time travel. Ian is saying uh, he's showing us. You're showing us your sonic screwdriver. You're showing us your sonic uh, soul driver or something. Yeah, pretty much. You just dial it in, dial it in, and fucking let it rip. Pretty much. You guys can find me. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. Find me on the Growing the Fishes podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, all the things. Uh, also on YouTube if you want the video version. All right, guys, we will catch you guys again on uh, Thursday. We will have, remember, Thursday is at an unusual time. We'll be at 11 a.m. Pacific. We will be with Mila, the hash queen, live from Amsterdam. That's awesome. So that'll be a lot of fun. A very cool person. One of the only people to travel around Europe with Frenchie. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were actually live from Amsterdam? I feel like the devil is in the details right there because it will be live with Amsterdam. But if we were live from Amsterdam, that would be fucking amazing. Can you check if the show budget allows that? I mean, for example, you know, I've, I've been able to fly smashed to Switzerland and so on with my extensive show budget. Perhaps your extensive show budget can fly us to Holland for... Well, five or six is, days i don't know. Go, lag, you know even if we wanted to go they're in full lockdown now so we actually wouldn't Damn be it. able to oh, all right next time can we do a rain check all right that is the one downside is that she is in lockdown unfortunately ah. but thankfully zoom is uh, immune to lockdown so hmm. through the magic of the internets we will have yeah. wonderful mia jensen with us uh next thursday uh, we may or may not have a, an episode on Monday. We're going to kind of do some sporadic Monday episodes as I can kind of get some extra people that I want to get on the show uh, here and there. So, uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys again soon. Listen to this. It's the Chronic Screwdriver. JS just named it the Chronic Screwdriver. 
There you go. Beat that. Right <laughs> You're right on. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right. Well, I bid you all a 